Hey guys, welcome to the second episode. Today's guest is the lovely Parker Craig. To start off, I want to apologize for the sound quality and reiterate that the opinions expressed here are strictly ours and do not represent any organizations. Before we get started, I would like to address a few errors. The character in Alien is Ripley, not Ridley. I meant George Michael, not George Martin. Tommy Wiseau is the correct pronunciation of his name. At the time of recording, Triangle of Sadness did not have a commercial release, but it has had one since then. The ending for A Clockwork Orange, spoilers, in the first edition of the book, had Alex reformed in the last chapter. The American edition had this last chapter omitted, and this is the version that Kubrick upholds in his film. All right, that's it. Enjoy the show. far away what you want me to talk about hit me oh no this is literally it this is it we just we just chat we just chat we just chat um i don't know i've never the first time i watched the star wars trilogy i was very young Mm -hmm. i had the box it was my dad's box set which i think is a lot of people's experience i think there are a lot there's like a class of movies that are very specifically you only watch them well no you only watch them because of your dad like, uh, there's dad movies and then there's mum movies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, I have very, like, well-cultured parents in movies. Well-cultured. Yeah. Mm. So, like, my childhood movie was, like, The Fifth Element because um, that was, like, my dad's favorite. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he watches it at least once, like, every year. It's mm. it's one of his favorites of all time. He loves Luc Besson as well. So then, obviously, I watched Leon the Professional and I was like, stay. Um, yeah. So yeah. I was like, I don't know, someone mentioned it, um, and I was like, actually, yeah, I wouldn't mind watching the original trilogy. I wouldn't touch the others, mm. but I wouldn't mind the original trilogy. I'm just not like a sci-fi person, though. Yeah, no, fair enough. Mm. Yeah, real quick. Real quick. I saw this artwork, and apparently, <gasps> like, it's based on the, I think it was for the Thrawn trilogy, mm. which is, like, a series of novels. Yeah, I love... Apparently, like, mm. it was going to go into this whole thing in which, like, the Emperor, like, clones Luke. Because oh. I yeah. love retrofuturism, which is, like, mm. that style. And I love this, like, weird moment in the 50s and 60s and 70s where they got really obsessed with sci-fi. And yeah. they, it was just a beautiful time for, like, art and, like, media. So yeah. w- what is it that you like about, like, Star Wars, but you go, I'm not a sci-fi person? Um, I don't even know if I like Star Wars, to be honest with you. I think I would only watch okay. it because it's a thing where it's like you have to watch it. Similar. Um, so you watch it for like, um, to get into the culture, mm. for like relevancy reasons. Yeah, okay. for mainly for relevancy reasons. I feel like there's two different types of canons, and there's a canon of like, in terms of film, there's a canon of like art house, um, experimental, uh, objectively good movies, or older usually older movies so you shit like citizen kane or um rear window and like the imdb canon like the imdb yeah uh, but then there's also like the cultural canon that's like ghostbusters jurassic park um star wars uh the older like original star treks um the indiana jones which is a lot more millennial i think like it's a lot more 80s nostalgia 
films. Um, the thing, uh, the blob. Uh, well, these are very genics. Anyway, yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah, 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 it's and that's and that's a canon that I haven't really touched because I'm I wasn't born then. That is a canon that was basically made by people who grew up in the late 70s and 80s, where that was like their childhood movies. And so I say that um, because a lot of the time, media now create hello created by people who were like in their 30s usually references that cultural canon. So people like um like Nirvana, the band, the show is basically all about that cultural canon, but mm. it also dips into the whole artsy canon as well. Yeah. yeah. Um. I would love to be able to be into that cultural canon, but I think it's really hard if you actually didn't grow up with it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I watched Indiana Jones' um, Raiders of the Lost Ark because I, my dad likes it, and I was like, I was really sick. Um, it was, this was like a couple months ago. And I was like, you know what? Oh, yeah, I'll watch Indiana Jones. Why not? Like, it's it's one that people talk about. And I was like... Mm, I, do, I don't think I finished it. Okay. Because I was like, this is actually kind of hard to watch if you're not like a 10-year-old and it's just come out and you're seeing it in the cinemas. And, you know, mm. and like for a lot of people, that's why they like their movies. So for my generation, that's a reason why they like Harry Potter because they were young when it was coming out. And no offense, I don't think it's very good. And I don't really like her. No, Harry Potter's not all that. No. It but was it's just, just a right place, right time thing. And it's like, but I feel like Indiana Jones is the equivalent of that generation's Harry Potter, where it's like you only look back on it and think, oh, it's really good. Hmm. Nostalgia. Okay, that's interesting. Because, like, yeah, like, I like a lot of those movies, but, like, I didn't grow I'm up. I'm sorry with if them. I massively dissed them then. No, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Because, like, mm. I think. I mean, a lot of them are, like, blockbusters, you know, because, like, they're, like, the Marvel movies of their day, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, they're, like, big, they're epic, they've got, like, a hero's journey kind of plot. Yeah. Do you reckon yeah. Spielberg is, like, their version of, like, Taika Waititi? Maybe. That's great. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. actually, um, Steven Spielberg was actually very influenced by Looney Tunes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Like, I... Spike Jones. Is one of his like idols when it comes to like wow. visual storytelling. Yeah, I reckon Chuck Jones. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I reckon like Looney Tunes is yeah fucking cool. There's yeah. nothing and wrong it's with so it. Old. Yeah, but like it's good visual storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Like there's this. Have you seen the rules about the coyote and the blade run? Uh, a blade runner? No. <laughs> What's it? The coyote and the, the uh, road the runner. runner. Yeah. Yes, coyote and blade runner. <laughs> that I, I would watch that. <laughs> Me too. Oh fuck. But there's this whole, there's like a series of rules, writing, it's more people talk about it in terms of writing, where um, Coyote can never catch Roadrunner, oh, Roadrunner yeah. can only, never speaks, like only speaks in the meep meeps, um, mm. the, the Coyote can only ever use weapons from that store. Acme. Acme. Only, yeah. only Acme weapons. Yeah. And like, it, there's a whole thing about it. And interestingly enough, the Roadrunner can't like directly harm coyote yes that's another one yeah it needs to be indirect or he needs to be harmed as a result of his own actions mm, I, I love that yeah i don't often like rules but i like those i think it's cool i think it's cool to set out and, and create a story world and be very specific about what you're doing you know yeah i respect that a lot mm. have you seen avatar like the animated show the last airbender uh, i've seen i've seen more of 
Cora. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like that? It's okay. I it's not fresh in my memory because I it was just sort of whenever it was on Cartoon Network, and I'd be like, oh, that's okay. Right. I think I always with is, her name's Cora, right? And she had a spinoff yeah. series. Uh, I don't know about the spinoff, but like that was the second series of that. Ah, because I do remember that coming out. Mm-hmm. And I remember just sort of being annoyed that she didn't really have a lot of agency as a female character, but she was still the main character. And I I still felt a bit disappointed that she had suddenly received main character status and she was the focus of the season, but she was still not able to make a lot of decisions for herself. See, the way I see it is like she had agency, but not motivation so much. Mm. To be honest, I haven't. Because like, oh, okay. Because yeah. like the thing is, Cora's a lot more of like a cop in a way. Yeah. Like yeah. She like is like putting down revolution. She's like, you know, helping out governments. Like she's very officially the avatar. Ugh. Whereas the previous series, I would say, story wise is better. Like Cora definitely explores a lot more when it comes to like the world abilities, mm. like the spirit realm, etc. But like the last airbender is a much better story because Aang is like a reluctant avatar see i love reluctant heroes i i think it's really i hate when heroes are like really predestined for it and they're like i've been preparing my whole life for this i gotta go up the mountain and do this shit like i don't care if if you have a character that's like i don't actually want to do this i'm so much more invested Mm. god like he is predestined but like he's got trauma he's Mm. like still a child see that's Um, fucked and i love it yeah yeah like he's called the last airbender because the avatar cycle like is a cycle so it goes from water to earth to fire to air and then so on so when it came to the airbenders the fire lord was all like well the avatar is going to stop my you know rampaging conquest so i'm going to kill all airbenders oh fuck and he's the only one that survived oh fuck yeah so that's anyway that's not a spoiler it's the first episode but that's rough that's why i like for like like a child that's rough that's why the meme is like everything changed when the fire nation attacked oh yeah (laughs) great i'm learning meme lore this is great Mm. anyway my Mm. point is that's a world where the rules are very defined yeah because like in harry potter they're not really you can do whatever the hell you want with a wand yeah fuck that but in avatar it was like very specific things you can do Mm. see i wasn't i was more of a gravity falls kid than i was an avatar kid Mm. i was very into like um chowder uh flapjack was it the adventures of flapjack i'm not sure i think misadventures misadventures are so good and like adventure time regular show that's billy and mandy anyway classics and spy kids next door spy five kids next door kids next door spy five spy five yes um i i yeah and like i was real i i still re-watch gravity falls sometimes it's pretty good i think it was it was the first tv show i watched as a kid and went this is properly something i really really like yeah you know and a lot of the time as a kid you grow up and you you borrow a lot from your parents taste or you borrow a lot from just whatever's on but Mm. gravity falls was one of the first things i watched and i like went out of my way to watch it and love it I still love it. I don't care. I was yeah. a bit cringe. I, I I was a bit cringe, but um, we're yeah. all a bit cringe. Yeah, back we're in all, the day. We're, I mean, all still. <laughs> we're all allowed a little bit of cringe from time to time. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. 
But yeah, no, I get what you mean because it's it's a good show. Yeah, I and like mm-hmm. when I, I when I initially watched it, I just watched the first season. I was like, oh, cool, this is great. And then I watched the second season. Yeah, and I was like, fuck. fuck. Yeah, recently it turned ten years old. Oh shit, that's fucked, right? Um, yeah. Alex Hirsch on Twitter he exposed um not all of but a lot of the notes that Disney would give him on the story. Oh, that's right, it was Disney. Yeah, so it's oh, it's a phenomenal the like the things you see. So he's showing all the notes he's given on scripts and things that are seen on screen and a lot and one of them was about um you know the two police officers that are gay, Blubs and the other guy yeah they're they're gay right it's pretty it's like it's confirmed um there's a moment in the show where they put their arms around each other and one of the disney notes is like this is this is too much get get rid of it and alex hush was like they're friends i'm keeping it in and there are so many things really basic things that they tried to get rid of and alex hush had to fight to keep in Mm. and i think i just i really want to see alex hush make a show where he has full reign yeah really want to see it because yeah. um, he worked on Flapjack originally as well. Oh, with okay. um, this guy who made Adventure Time, Penn something or other. Pendleton Ward. Yes. Yeah. Him, Pendleton Ward, Alex Hirsch, whoever went on to do Steven Universe. Oh, Rebecca Sugar. Yeah, Rebecca Sugar. Nice. All of them met through doing Misadventures of Flapjack. Nice. Yeah, and I think also the regular show people, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Fucking, what's his name? Uh, I forgot. But it's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think genuinely, I think animated shows are really underrated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the West, especially, I would say. Mm. And if it's an animated show, it's like an Adult Swim animated show. Yeah. And it's like, Adult Swim is fun. I like it. Mm-hmm. But they're not doing. I don't know if you could make Tim and Eric awesome show, great job, like today. Um, which is. Probably one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I've been re-watching a lot of it recently, so it's like it's really in my mind. Yeah. But the more I watch it, I'm like, this just would not get made. I mean, maybe in a, especially in Australia. No. It wouldn't like it would not come even close to being approved in Australia. If you pitched some of the shit that they did, like a lot of the time they didn't work on scripts, they didn't work professionally, majority of it was improv, mm-hmm. you would just not get approved for funding in Australia. Unless you had a similar thing to like Auntie Donna where they proved themselves. Not even. They had no? to go to America to make it. So oh, what? Aunt, yeah, so Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun was initially they pitched it to like ABC. They had a pilot with ABC and they didn't get picked up. They pitched it to Stan and then Stan like led them on for ages and then said actually no, pulled the plug. And the, the then they had to go to Netflix and literally they had to move to Los Angeles for six months to film it because America were the only people that would take it. So, like, Australia is just not taking risks in film and especially not in comedy. And it makes me very, very sad. Yeah. And Big Old House of Fun gets talked about as, like, people think that Auntie Donna are just these YouTubers that got a Netflix show but don't realize that they've been doing theater live shows for ages. And part of the only reason they got their sh- they were able to get their show made, and especially in America, was because of their live shows that they did in Australia as well as America. Mm. So they built up this American audience um, physically, as mm. physical audiences. And, like, I really admire that. Yeah. That's very, like, they're very much my personal heroes for that, you know? Yeah. Very inspired by that. I think a lot of it these days, unfortunately, is that, like, 
you have to create either create your own audience mm. or like try and appeal to like something that's already kind of there. Yeah. And yeah, something like that it'd be hard to pitch that for broadcast television. But you still have things like you know like yeah, Andy Donner for example, but also like the Eric Andre show mm. and like all these weird things. A lot of them I guess are in America. My but, like I feel like in Australia there is room for it because Australians do have a dark sense of humor to an extent. Yeah. I think I love Australian comedy. Mm-hmm. I love it so 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 much and I especially love how a lot of absurdist or offbeat or just crazy Australian comedy is like this beautiful mix between American absurdist comedy and British absurdist comedy. So it's it's like a mix between like Andy Donner talk about how their inspirations are like in in Britain it's like Monty Python and the League of Gentlemen and then in America it's like Tim and Eric and Eric Andre and then I feel Australia is this really good mix between the two and I feel we combine those influences quite nicely and I really wish that there was a better space for Australian comedians because it's yeah. it's tough like outside like the comedy like the stand up comedy Yeah. Scene. Yeah. Cuz the stand-up comedy scene in Australia is not too bad actually. Yeah, stand-up comedy is doing great. Mm. But a lot of filmed comedy like cuz we don't have an adult swim. Yeah. And I I sorely wish we did. Yeah. yeah. And like my absolute dream one day would be to have an Australian equivalent of adult swim that is just a mm. home for wacky shit yeah. and that can produce it and have and feel comfortable in spending that money on something that might do not do as well. cuz all I, I like mm. and certainly my dream tv series would be to do sort of an australian version of the eric andre show yeah as in i i i just want a show <laughs> i just, you know like but i i don't really feel comfortable that i could ever make that in australia i feel i would probably have to go to america yeah i mean like see we we kind of discussed this stuff in our screen business class. Yeah, I don't um, mean to bring screen bring screen business into the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Like mm. it's yeah, and Archita gave us the impression that it is something that there is more room for mm. today. Like there's room more room for like weird stuff, wacky stuff, like you know, like more I guess representation, more non mainstream whatever. white bread stories etc so i i like to be hopeful about that kind of stuff mm. i'm jealous but, of you then yeah i admire at, that but at the same time like it's hard to say when that's going to happen you know yeah i'm sort of waiting for some of the um 30 and 40 year olds to filter out a little bit because some of the 20 year olds coming into it now quite good mm. quite good shit um but i think My guiding philosophy a little bit recently has been the world makes no sense. Everything we do makes no sense. There's not a lot of meaning. So why should the things we make make sense? Um which is a paraphrase from a quote somewhere. I don't have it. It could be from a movie. I think it is. I have no idea. But it's this whole thing of like I think it it's talked about in reference to David Lynch's work of like the world mm-hmm. doesn't make sense so why should we make art that makes sense? Yeah. And in the 19 late 1920s and 1930s there was this group of Egyptian artists, the Egyptian surrealists, and their catchphrase was long live degenerate art. And they had this real ethos about tearing down 
every single established rule around them and building it back up to not make sense and mm. to create things that were purely about expression and purely about saying to the world, ah, it's chaos. Mm. We need to make things that are chaos because we live in chaos. Yeah. And I, I really, really like that. Mm. I think these days the world makes less and less sense. But I feel like part of that is, like, I agree with you, but I feel like part of it is also that we don't have, like, you know, people taking risks. Because a lot of the things that we experience these days are hard to say, are hard to articulate, are hard to accept. Mm. So I feel like while there is a need for having things that don't make sense, I think equally we need more stuff which is like talking about like the difficult shit that's like hard to understand that's Absolutely. like you know yeah that doesn't make sense mm. but at the very least acknowledges it you know yeah i think um okay i, I could get bullied for this but like, i'm gonna say quick, it sorry yeah no you go. To give an example yeah. have you seen paris 13 district nope Oh, okay. It's 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 very interesting. It's about like modern romantic and sexual relationships, right? Because like it addresses. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but it addresses mm. like, um, like non-monogamy. Addresses like casual relationships, mm-hmm. online dating, ageism in the dating world, and at the end of the film, none of the main characters you know, have a happy ending. Like, none of them, like, really... Oh, I'm going to watch it then. Yeah, none of them, like, <laughs> nice. really, like, you know, find the one. Yeah, I think that's a bit and bullshit, though. I think, I think you have soulmates, but I don't think you ever have the one. Yeah, and I, I really like that movie because, like, that's, that's a lot of what dating is. Like, hmm. it doesn't work out, like, 90% of the time. Like... Exactly. It's, like, often people don't make sense. Relationships don't make sense. Yeah, and that really shows that because, like, when you watch the film, you're like, "I don't get what they're doing," but I agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think we need a place. I was thinking earlier today about how movies, movies, TV, but media and art in general is so spectacular and special and magical because it has this power to tap into the subconscious that we aren't ever aware of. We watch a movie and we come away knowing a, a good movie. We come away knowing the main character inside out. We feel like we've been on the same journey as them and we can leave a cinema and feel like we know someone who was totally invented, someone who is speaking words written by someone else. And we feel like we've lived their life. I think that's insanely special. And a lot of the time when it's done visually and it just taps into a little part of your brain, that is speaking that language, that's so special. Mm. And I think that's truly one of the most incredible things in the whole world. And I think a lot about the um, the cinematography of Robbie Mueller, who did, he did a lot of um, Vim Vendors movies and Jim Jamoosh movies, and specifically in Paris, Texas. He has this beautiful control over colour. I do not know how he does it. And frankly, I don't want to hear him talk about it because I feel as soon as you start talking about craft, you ruin it. Mm. He just 
can tap into a subconscious part of your brain to have that feeling. And it is insane. And as soon as you become aware of it, you are, you're just like, wow, you're in awe of how you can control a space and a frame and a plane to just do that to someone. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm reading this book by Tarkovsky and like he talks mm. a lot about trying to use film as a medium in and of itself. Yeah. Because like, you know, obviously he's being like wanky about it, but he's all like, <laughs> it's Tarkovsky. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever you've learned from like photography, useless. From novels, don't don't bring it in. Theater, don't bring it into film. Don't do it. He don't can't do just theater. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. No, he, Tarkovsky. He does, he does. Wow. He's like, okay, sure, maybe it'll help you understand film better. Mm. But you need to see film in an, it's uh, in and of itself. Yeah. Like you need to see film as, like, its own medium. You shouldn't bring rules and conventions and all these things from other art forms into it. See, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because last year, I made a short film. Um, it was technically for, like, my year 12 major work um, for English Extension 2. Don't recommend doing that, by the way, listeners at home, unless you have a really clear idea of what you actually want to make. Yeah, if we somehow get a non-R18 rating for this, don't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, any, un- any, yeah. Uh, and any I was... Young'uns. Mm, all the youngins of the world heed this message i was a bit silly about it uh but basically the short film i was making was essentially a theater piece i had adapted the film from a play i had written uh, in like year nine so my references for the filmmaking were people like brecht and i was like oh it's like a brechtian film and my teachers had to be like stop referencing theater this is a film. And I was like, no, it's Brecht though. <laughs> like, and I, and I feel that you can definitely transpose those fields of knowledge into film. And especially people like Meyerhold, uh, another theater practitioner, a Russian, um, a lot of his theater work is very applicable to film. And he worked with, um, God, I've forgotten it, but he I've forgotten it. Yeah. He had a focus on like very mechanical movements and spaces. And a lot of the time his sets were very recognizable because they were dominated a lot by like massive fans and workers and, and industrialism. And a lot of that is still seen in film today, especially it was very like noir, in my opinion. Uh there's a specific film I'm thinking of that I can't remember the name that has a lot of massive fans and a lot of dark shadows and very harsh lines and harsh movements and that's all Maya hold and a lot of Brecht with breaking the fourth wall and reminding people that they are watching a performance reminding people that they are observers to actors and that they are on a stage I feel is also very important to film mm. and I do love the intersection of theatre and film I don't want to keep them separate <laughs> no fair enough yeah I want them to be together and have little theatre film babies you know yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. Yeah, so fuck Tarkovsky. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Love you, Tarkovsky. Um, Tarkovsky, if you're listening to this, um, <laughs> please don't unsubscribe. <laughs> nice, nice. Like, um, like there is there is like intersections between like hmm. all these different disciplines, and that's part of why I love film. Hmm. Like you know, like as much as I would love to be like just a writer or just like a musician or whatever, I just love that. There's so many. Like things. things you can like adjust in a yes. film and like the effect changes dramatically 
It is fantastic. And like it's like a you know it feeds in on itself. You know what? Harking back to the chaos and the things that don't make sense discussion, I recently uh, was on YouTube as you do, and one of the recommended videos was a scene from Pulp Fiction. And I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this. I don't want to get bullied for this, but I did watch Pulp Fiction at 14 and was like, oh my god, cinema, right? Everyone does that at 14 and or 13. They watch a Tarantino movie and they're like, oh, I'm so cool. That was my experience with Pulp Fiction. And I was re-watching the scene and I was like, what if I like this? <laughs> what if I'm enjoying myself right now? But it was the scene where, spoilers, Marcellus Wallace is, it's in the pawn shop where there's the gimp and um, Bruce Willis's character, I forgot his name, is being held hostage by the gimp. And Marcellus Wallace is... <sighs> Rewatching the scene, I realized that Marcellus Wallace is being sexually assaulted, but the film presents it. I don't even know. Um, and then obviously when I first watched it, I did not have a grasp on that, on that, or what a gimp was. Um, but I was like, I still don't. <laughs> no, will we ever know what a gimp is? Um, but like, I was like, objectively, this doesn't make sense. Objectively, this is unrealistic and this is, this is surreal. But the way Tarantino kind of makes movies is that he makes very believable worlds, which is so, for a film podcast, that's like the worst thing I could say, right? I All can't the worst things, but yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, no, but um, genuinely, he does understand realism quite well. And I think that is because he's from an acting mm. background and because he was never formally trained in writing. And he just yeah. did writing because he loved it. I think a lot of, a very big reason as to why movies nowadays, especially big blockbusters, are shit, is because it's writers who were trained very formally and very commercially in what writing is. And I think I really reject that. And in fact, like, I really love the idea of never actually going to school to learn how to write or screenwriting or playwriting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of writers do say, don't learn just right. I mean, I think a lot of it is pressures, not so much like formal education, because formal education mm -hmm. can help to an extent, yeah. I reckon. But I think a lot of it is like the pressure to do, you know, like say, if you need work and like, you know, neighbours or home and, home and away calls up, are you going to say no? Not, not really. Nah, I, I'd say yes to neighbours. Yeah, exactly. Neighbours, hey, oh, do you need someone in the writing room? Hello. But no, I, I do get what you mean. Because, like, okay, on Tarantino, I'll say this. Ooh, My hot take is, I think he's the closest thing we've had to, like, you know, French New Wave, like, all these things. Like, he's the only, he's, like, one of the very few, like, critic creators we've had. That's really true. In our time. Like, he's, <laughs> Wait. A, lot of, a lot of what he does. But the thing is, Wait, but funnily enough, funnily enough, it's interesting because of the lack of film knowledge mm. a lot of people have. That's why he became so mainstream. Because oh, like, absolutely. people looked at his stuff and they were like, oh my God, Pulp Fiction, this is great. Yeah, and they and Kill see... Kill Bill, this is great. But what he's done is essentially just... Take copied. from the old guys. Yeah. Yeah, but because people don't recognize it, they see like what he's done as amazing, which is, in a way, opposite to what the French New Wave did. Yeah, I... It was all about subverting. Yeah, because obviously when I was like... 14 and I watched Pulp Fiction and I watched the dance scene between um, 
Mia Wallace and uh, John Travolta's character. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Wow. It's from Eight and a Half. The whole dance is just stolen from Fellini. Mm. And it's because mainstream American audiences just have not seen Eight and a Half. I think and they haven't seen, yeah, yeah, true. But they just haven't seen his inspirations or his, um, just what he takes from. Yeah. So they just think that he's wholly original. The, th- the, pr- the issue is, I think, for me, my personal ethical and moral dilemma is that I do respect Tarantino's opinions on film. And I partially respect him as a filmmaker. Partially. Yeah, he's a good filmmaker. I'm not denying that. Yeah, and it's like, it's almost unfortunate that he's a good filmmaker it's almost i'm only i'm sometimes when i watch his shit i'm almost like oh god i wish i hated this i mean i'm not saying there's like no originality to him obviously there's, there's a lot of criticism you can there's a lot by. more i would rather watch that you know like if i'm having a night in i don't think Ooh, time to put on um the hateful eight <laughs> whatever funny you say the movie that's most like theater is it oh you haven't seen it Mm-mm. it's all in like one room Shut up. The majority of it, yeah. No, that means I'll end up liking it. That's he, terrible. Yeah, he wrote it He wrote it as a kind of like a testing the waters to see if oh. he can write a play, essentially. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like um, like a bit like Rope, Alfred Hitchcock. But yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, that is adapted from a play, and it's, it's my favorite Hitchcock, personally. Nice. It is quite literally the most tense film you might ever see. It's all set in one room. These two little twinks murder their friend i'm gonna call them little twinks because oh my god this it's so homoerotic it is this film that is cited so much as a pinnacle of unspoken gayness whoa um that's a big claim you bigger than gravity falls yeah (laughs) yeah go and watch it and report back to me and be like that's the gayest shit i've ever seen because wow um they these two guys kill their friend. Just, I think they do it. Just, they t- basically. Oh, spoilers. Oh, it's like opening scene, man. Come on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No spoilers. Take it. I take that back. Within <laughs> the spoilers. Um, and they put his body in a suitcase and they host a dinner party with all of the guy's friends and family and they set up the dinner table on this suitcase. So his mother eats over her dead son's body and doesn't realize. And it's Rocky fantastic. Rocky Horror? Yeah. Is that meant to be a reference to that? What do you mean? Because you know how, like, Which they scene all... in Rocky Horror? Oh, they eat. Yeah. Is that meant to be? Oh, anyway. Maybe. I've never thought about that. Hmm. I don't know. It's just a good way to get rid of a body, to eat it. It's like, you know, the short story where the woman murders her husband with the bit of lamb? Yeah, it's ringing a bell. And then yeah. she feeds the police the, the lamb, so she gets rid of the murder weapon effectively. I I I I recognize it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a frozen chunk of like a body part of that. Yeah, it's one of those perfect crime stories. Yeah, I don't know meat lingo. Um, (laughs) I don't know what body part of the lamb, the shank. I don't know. I I gotta get up to date with my meat lingo. Um, yeah, but rope is like just marvelous. And it's called rope. That's even gayer. There's a massive thing where they hold the rope and they fidget with it, and they like they they're holding it. Just gaily. It's just gay. There's yeah. holding it. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a really fantastic essay about it that I can't go on. Um, that I should be able to cite, but I can't. Uh, okay. I'll 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 do a citation. Uh, like a like a bibliography at the end of it. 
thank you. Yeah. Little references list. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to the your blockbuster rant. Mm. Oh, I'm always <laughs> ready for a blockbuster rant. So would you would you say would I be correct in assuming that you hate it because it's just telling you, it's just showing you at best the story rather than like making it intrinsic or subtle or like something I... that you get through osmosis rather than your senses. I think it offers nothing to society other than being a spectacle and a distraction. The same way I view, I love musicals, but I don't like massively commercial musicals because it's like there's no substance. I walk away from a massive blockbuster and Marvel, but also things like the Jason Bourne shit, the James Bond shit, and I walk away like that added nothing to my life. Legitimately, that did nothing for me. I wasn't entertained. I wasn't there, and partially it's because of you know the um, who said it the Scorsese quote of being like Marvel movies aren't art, and I like yeah I agree I don't really think that they offer much to society other than frivolous entertainment, and if you enjoy it, that's completely okay, and you're allowed to. We all enjoy shitty things, and I think as long as you're aware that they're a bit shit, cool. If you go into a Marvel movie and you are unironically like, yes, green screen men do the fighty things, mm, my favorite, I'm like, oh, oh man, you know, yeah. and which makes me sound really snobby and like a massive art house cunt. I mean, as long as you're aware of that. But I kind of, I kind of am though. Like, yeah. I feel like, God, I've been such a snob. In, like specifically in class I don't know who's going to listen to this yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, and I feel really bad because I'm like I'm terrible because I will rock up to my class like the um, screen analysis seminar reflection whatever yeah. we'll make our personal canons and someone will put Interstellar on the canon list and I will audibly go oh <laughs> yeah have you seen it? yeah Okay. I, I, I was like this is terrible I don't care like oh. Frankly, my I think my biggest issue with big blockbuster thing blockbuster things is that I do not care. I don't have an emotional investment hmm. in the in the James Bonds and the Jason Bonds of the world because I'm literally like, you're just a cunt. Yeah. Same with okay. my sort of feelings on Batman, like superhero things. Uh huh. Batman's that are taken very seriously. Um, yeah. Obviously the campy the camp superhero shit I I fucking love. Like seventies fat man. Fucking great. But the the things like Dark Knight and it's just like it's not that deep. It's a it's a guy in a fucking cape and you're trying to make this a serious movie? No. No. Hmm. It's yeah. Anyway. I just, I, it's just, <laughs> same with, like, like the Spider-Man stuff. Like, I just, I just don't think I care enough about, yeah. oh, protecting the city. Oh, meh, meh. But yeah. in the same sense, I could definitely be criticized that because I'm, I'm, you know, I do enjoy a bit of, like, Detective Noir. And Detective Noir has the mm. same thing of, like, man in coat trying to protect the city. Yeah. You know? Because, okay, there's two aspects to this. Mm. Like. Hit me with them. Like, okay, disregarding. You know, the escapism, because 
obviously. Sorry, and escapism is big advances, yes. People want more escapism, blah, blah, blah. And people are allowed to do that. I don't want to come across as like, you are not allowed to watch Marvel. You are definitely allowed. I have watched shitty movies just yeah. because I want escapism, because I want, like, joy. And yeah. every everyone is allowed to do that. And I don't want to come across as being, like, a massive hater. Even though I am. But it's just not your taste, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think other people are allowed to, but I also think you have to have balance. Because... Like, the other thing, the other aspect of that is, these days, for better or worse, you don't have that many films that, like, properly, in a nuanced way, engage in a conversation within the culture. Yeah. Right? Like, whether it's, like, political, whether it's about, like, social things, whether it's, you know, philosophical, introspective, whatever you want to call it, you don't get a lot of films that... We don't have a spikely... Yeah. Yeah. Like you do get films like that now and then. Like I don't know. There's Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you, but yeah. also like in Australia, like there's a lot, so many like indigenous films and TV shows mm. that are great. Like you know, like Shout in out, my blood like, it runs. Yeah, like Bunya Productions, who are yeah. like a very cool production company for doing like very female-led, primarily First Nations-led projects. They, I think, they're part of doing Mystery Road, but they. They focus on, like, primarily First Nation crew, cast, stories, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, but, like, the thing is, unfortunately, when that happens, people do enjoy things that, like, are good, right? Like, it, that, are, that are, sorry, good in the sense that, like, the production is good. Because I feel like mm. the way you feel about blockbusters is how I feel about sports. Like, oh, fuck, I hate sports. Because, <laughs> like, like, so many people, especially in yeah. Australia, just fucking froth for sport. They literally... I don't get it! They wear, I don't like, understand you know, it! Like, do you, do you find it weird when people wear, like, Marvel merch and things like that? Uh, no, I understand oh, okay. Marvel merch. Interesting. I understand wearing merch. I wear merch. Okay. I love merch. I, I don't get it, sport merch. Yeah, exactly. I don't, <laughs> don't fucking get that. Like, uh, I, I get, you know, why people enjoy it. It's, like, thrilling... You know, mm. you feel like you're on a side, you want your side to win. Yeah. When your side wins, it's like a celebration, it's a spectacle. Like, similarly, like, all those, like, fucking Mission Impossible, like, yeah. you know, like, whatever you want to call it, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. As much as I love the guy, like, he does movies that, like, there's Humanity. no point. There's yeah. no point to them. Yeah, same like, with sport. What is the point to sport? Like, exactly, genuinely, exactly. Aside, an anti-sport <laughs> aside from a side winning and another side losing, what is the point? Yeah. Aside from things like, say, for, like, I don't know, like, the Asia Cup, like, Palestine winning, things like that. Like, oh, there's certain, like, and, like, in the UK, there's, like, a history of, like, you know, left-wing mm. and, like, more working class and, like, yeah. et cetera teams Lit. Love winning it. against, like, big fucking city And to be fair, teams. a lot of, like, sport teams, especially in Australia, sport is a very viable opportunity for people with less opportunities to actually get into. Yeah. And, like, but I think for fans, sport fans perplex me. And it's really funny how, like, a sport fan, right, you know, your average jock mm-hmm. could watch Blue Velvet by David Lynch and come away from it and be like, what the fuck was that? I would watch an NRL game and come away from it and be like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. I cannot, yeah. I can't understand footy. Yeah. Cannot understand soccer. The fuck is soccer, right? But I can understand a David Lynch movie. Yeah. And, and 
I think it's really interesting that there, I yeah, the separation between nerd and jock, man. <laughs> Like, yeah, like, a lot of... Because yeah, you mentioned Marvel movies. Like, a lot of them are like that. Like, they're just, like, you know, like... It's like watching hero sports. comes out of, like, you know, like, a normal life to, like, embrace their destiny. Ooh. They defeat the villain. Oh, you know, they yay. save the world. Woo! And, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, and, like, a lot of that is just that, like, formula. Oh, but, they win? No way. Didn't expect that. But a lot of Marvel movies, because I like a lot of Marvel movies... Fair enough. ...are actually, like quite good look they're they're, quite engaging they are very engaging and i'm not i'm not gonna um diss that and a lot of the time they can be quite well made but i don't think they can be like well crafted as a as a legitimate story and as a legitimate emotional investment it's no bicycle thieves which ones have you seen um I don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of them. Some okay. of them. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's like certain movies that I would say are quite Yeah, like good. the Taika ones. And... Thor Ragnarok and like Guardians of the Galaxy. The first I've one seen that. Better. You know what though? The other, Infinity War is quite good. The other short film I made last year, my other film major work, my soundtrack for it, I screened it to my class and then afterwards, the two fucking Marvel nerds in my class were like, "You, that's... Majority of the songs you used are in Guardians of the Galaxy, and I was like, shit, I've already submitted this to Nessa, I can't change it. Because <laughs> I'd used, like, Fleetwood Mac, The Chain. Yeah. And I'd used. Uh, you and James are gonna have similar taste in shit. music. God damn it. <laughs> I just like 70s music. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, no, you go. No, I was, I was just like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's a damn shame. Mm. See, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is at least fun, it's just fun. Yeah. But it's it's a fun time. And that's the same way about Tarantino movies. It's just fun. You don't like yeah. it, you enjoy it. At yeah. least for me. And I, you can sort of sit back and not have thoughts. And sometimes that can be really nice. Mm. But I get really tired of it. I get really tired of like watching... Not having any thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I do hate having a lot of thoughts. But I hate watching movies where I, I stop thinking. It. Yeah. Mm. And I, you, I can do it every now and again. But yeah. I get really sick of it really quickly. And I think it's just this sense of this I just get really um I think because it becomes so predictable, I just get it gets stale and mm. I really quickly disengage if I feel I already know the plot because I feel restless. I feel really, really restless. And I think that's part of why I don't like it, because I feel itchy and I'm like, I already know how this ends. I don't want to sit through it. I d I don't want to do this because it's so predictable. Mm. And for me, that's that's a big reason why I don't like it. Because it's just, you know exactly where it's going to go. And I think it's like every single Marvel movie is just a different variation variation of putting the same pig in a different lipstick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's always going to be the hero's journey. It's just that there's a different character with different lore. And because they have different powers or different worlds or different characters, people think it's a different movie. Yes, yeah. but it's not. I mean, a lot of times it is. But, like, like I get what you mean, but, like, the thing is, sometimes they are, like, certain movies, I would say, you know, like, Spider-Man. He's, like, I Which get one? you hate Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man is a character, right? Oh, okay. Like, he's meant to be, like, just a kid. See, I like that. Like, you know, it's trying to, like, kid. deal with life. 
Yeah, that's while also cool. Trying to deal with like being a superhero. That's funny. That's cool. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of comedic potential in that that I don't think is very taken advantage of. Yeah, um, I I think it's difficult to take a Marvel movie seriously. Sure. I I think my issue I've come to realize is people or stories who take themselves way too seriously than they need to. And part of the... But what determines how serious they need to take themselves? I don't know. <laughs> but part of why I love Tim and Eric so much is because they don't take themselves seriously. They mm. understand that what they're doing doesn't make sense and it, it doesn't need to. And yeah. that, like, nothing matters and we're all going to die. As long as, funny. as long as it's funny, that's yeah. all that matters. Mm. And they just don't take themselves seriously. And that's part of why I really, really like it. And I try not to take myself too seriously because it's like, why? Yeah. Because... These days you have like Marvel films, which are like the big blockbusters, which take them. I agree with you. A lot of them do take themselves too seriously. And compared to like the campy Batman stuff in the 70s, it's mm. not campy at all. Yeah. Like like the most recent Batman, Robert Pattinson. So ass. Took itself so yeah. seriously. Try It tried so, so hard to be this super cool like noir movie. And I kind of went into it expecting it to be really full on with the noirness, and right. it wasn't. And I was like, "This is this is a fully grown man in a Halloween costume parading around Gotham, trying to fuck Catwoman." I mean, don't we all want to? Whatever, Zoe Kravitz, hotel. But like, how how do you take this seriously in the writers' room? And you look at Batman as a character, and you're like, "This is just a really fucked up, like yeah. virgin." Sigma male. We have nothing against virgins. Um, yeah. <laughs> but where we support virgins, we love virgins. I just, I just want to call Batman a virgin as a, as a derogatory, <laughs> okay. as a derogatory term. Batman is a massive fucking virgin. Yeah. Okay. Only, only to Batman. Only it's to a Batman. derogatory term. <laughs> All the other virgins, we love you. Yeah, because like, it's hard for us to like, you know, know to what extent that's economic pressures. Because film is such a big industry, right? Like, there's so much pressure. Well, in some cases, just pure selloutness mm. for, like, Disney or whoever to, like, create these things that are just going to be eaten up by, That's like, so, international yeah. audiences because yeah. of, like, the spectacle that they are. I think but, they'd make more money if they treated Batman as, like, a John Waters film. Fuck, I'd love that. Maybe, but, like, they really want to... Because they're such a spectacle and because we're living in an era where there isn't thankfully there's more now but there isn't much like you know film production film productions that are actually engaging and deep and thoughtful and stuff Mm. you do have the audience for it unfortunately but another big problem i have with marvel films is that they kind of appropriating all this culture and role, lore, yeah, that's been created by the comics, yeah, to just be like vapid. That's my massive like, thing with Disney as well. They yeah. literally like people are talking about how like oh they're making like Moana, Encanto, um the other ones that rip off other cultures, and it's like that that people are like oh they're doing it for representation. No, they're doing it to tap into other markets that aren't white people, obviously, mm. and like. It's so fantastic to have representation. It is 
phenomenal seeing like young kids of the world watching Moana and seeing themselves represented back on a screen. I think that is so beautiful and spectacular. But it is also deeply saddening when you know that Disney are only doing that to make money off of that child. Yeah. So that that child goes and buys a Moana costume. Yeah. Like, Encanto is, like, great. Like, it's amazing. I you disagree know, like, sorely, it's... but that's okay. <laughs> no, as in, like, to watch. Like, oh, like, like, as a visual as, like, spectacle. A it's a well-made yeah. film. Like, the songs are great. It's, you know, great representation. Mm. Like, but the thing is, it's, like, there's nothing to do with, like, apart from, you know, like, some very vague allusions to like civil wars there's nothing about their actual culture yeah. about like their actual language about mm. their history about like current politics in like latin america it's just it's just using that culture to make money and like yeah and just taking out all the things the bright colorful bits exactly yeah it's just like taking out like all the things that are real and like messy and like complicated and just presenting something that's like you know, entertaining and it is, it's a good story about a family, you know, sure, that's no, great. No, the grandmother is like abusive. I'm sorry, but I would not have oh, forgiven okay. her. Okay. Straight sure. up. I like, I think my main, that is a problem. Yeah, yeah. My main pet peeve with Encanto, aside from it just existing to make money off of like Latin American <laughs> culture, mm-hmm. um, is that the end message of the film being that they all forgive the grandmother is so foul. She was disgusting to them. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> she was like, yeah. a, she was such a bully yeah. and they bullied the main character. And personally, but they sell it as a thing of like, Oh, you know, it comes from like her own shortcomings and feelings of powerlessness. Cool. But that isn't but enough for you. No, because it, it isn't for me, but personally, personally, I am estranged. So I, um, like, I have not forgiven my grandparents for what they've right. done to my family, and I would never forgive them because, frankly, I don't think that just because you're related to someone, you have to have an obligation to forgive them. And I didn't, I hated that that's the message the movie was giving, that you have to forgive your family just because they're related to you. And I think that's, in my opinion, that is terrible to actually tell kids that because mm. it's telling these young minds forming and that are forming through watching these media pieces pieces of media that whatever your family does to you it's okay because blood mm. and that saying of what is it blood is thicker than water love yeah, it which is actually not the original saying yeah but, but i think that's genuinely very toxic and i think mm. it means that kids grow up accepting any forms of abuse or manipulation because because they might think back to Encanto and be like, oh, well, no, they all forgave each other in that. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's. I don't know if it's that deep. Yeah. It's, it's, obviously, no, it it yeah. is to an extent. And, like, obviously you're, like, exaggerating because, like, like, a lot of the ending is the fact that the grandma forgi- forgives and, mm. like, accepts. I think it's Mirabelle. Yeah. Obviously it's non-excusable and obviously she doesn't, like, but also the fact you that know, a tone or like it doesn't undo what she did. Yeah, and I I don't know how to I don't know what she could. But have that's done how they're like selling it. Yeah, but obviously their entire treatment of Bruno, the, is so sad. I felt like I felt genuinely really heartbroken seeing this character who 
literally he just did what they told him to do that's literally his ability yeah like they said to him okay predict my future he said okay here it is and they said fuck you get the fuck out and he had to go and like be completely separated from from that from them for years yeah and it's trapped in literally the walls of the house in a depressive rut yeah that is so sad yeah that is Hor- like horrifyingly sad yeah. and as a narrative device great yeah <laughs> like a me- social message terrible. terrible and just like i don't, it just i that really perturbed me it really got under my skin mm. and after i'd watched it i was like i i saw it with a group of people and i was like why do you guys not see issue with this and they're like parker it's a disney movie like calm down it's not that deep and i was like yeah but that's fucked <laughs> Mm. I, I like and I know I'm definitely taking it too seriously and partially yeah. I am taking it too seriously because I'm a film student you know like, yeah I mean I'm sure like freaking Hitchcock and like I wonder know, what Hitchcock like, would think of it and like all these <laughs> directors and filmmakers or whatever I'm sure they had like problematic messages they do. but I think they, they didn't do. have the yeah. scale and like the magnitude of audience that Disney does the thing is with Hitchcock and, and Godard got a sorry their problematic messages are just on women like they're just like it's it's more you could objectify and be really mean to your girlfriend but she'll probably end up forgiving you because you're a man and the woman has to forgive the man that's that's my only thing yeah, with them that's just men, more, more so more so more so john more so johnny boy yeah. yeah i mean hitchcock was very unapologetic about how fucked up he was <laughs> So we can't yeah. really, can't really blame him for mm. trying to trying to sneak those messages in. I guess. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Radiohead recently. Make of that what you will. And I, at the same time when I was younger, I'd listen to Radiohead, and I'd also listen to Johnny Greenwood and the soundtracks, and be like, "Fuck this, Johnny guy's good." I had no yeah, idea until very recently. That Johnny Greenwood is of Radiohead. Oh, yeah. Like I as in, like not before the trivia night. No, um, I knew before the trivia night. Oh, okay. That's, I. I don't know. I think I only found out like beginning of this year, and I was like, "What? The guy, hmm. the Johnny Greenwood guy, whose soundtracks I listen to all the time, is the is the guitarist of Radiohead? Are you serious?" And I, it it's really it's really insane to me. And I was like, that explains why Radiohead makes such good music. Like, why the music is so good. But also, insane how good Johnny Greenwood is. Fuck. That guy knows how to put together music. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. God. And another thing I found out, like, last week is that um, Jarvis Cocker did some of the songs from the French Dispatch. No clue. He did did this album. Jarvis Cocker is the front man of Pulp. Pulp. Fucking yeah, yeah, love, yeah. and I've been listening to this album Probably non-stop, good. Chansons de New Tip Top, which is a companion album to the French Dispatch, and I had Aww. no idea. That's great. And so the That's song so you cute. hear in the sound, tra- the like the trailer, yeah, is Jarvis Cocker, nice. and I always thought it was just a French singer. Yeah, nice. And then I listened to the Jarvis Cocker album and was like, what? It's mm. Jarvis. I thought it was an actual French guy, but no, it's just fucking British dude from mm. Polk. I, yeah, I do love the intersection of music and film because Jarvis Cocker did originally go to university and study film. Yeah, that's mm. wild. But um, I was also looking at, 
I've just been very been listening to a lot of pulp recently. Mm-hmm. I pulp is a band that really got me through high school. Like I was really obsessed with them, um, and I'm sort of back into that. Uh, yeah, and their song "Do You Remember the First Time," which plays in the background of the pub scene in The World's End. Fun fact: The World's End, the World's the final End film of the Cornetto trilogy. Yes, the World's End. Right, if you, the best if you're one of the Cornetto, in my opinion. Oh. Yeah. What's your favorite from the Cornetto trilogy? Don't say Hot Fuzz. You just fucking say Hot Fuzz, aren't you? Uh, like it used to be Hot Fuzz. Not gonna lie, but it's Sean. Really? Sean's pretty good. World's End is like top. That's so interesting. I I dislike the ending. That's like the prologue thing. That get, what ending? The the very the prologue at the Spoilers, end. by the way. What? The one where the entire world is over and and and. Oh, yeah, and and Gary, it's like a post-apocalyptic thing. Yeah, and Gary Yeah, King that's weird. That was, that was unnecessary. They could have just it very, ended I, it. I didn't like it. Yeah. Oh, it's before. the 22nd of June. Today is literally the day where Gary King and his crew do the Golden Mile. 22nd nice. of June is Golden Mile Day, which is fantastic. Just Spoilers over, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, I didn't like that. But okay. the rest of the movie, is it's my favorite from the Cornetto trilogy. Interesting. It's, Damn. for me, top three is like World's End, Hot Fuzz, and then Shaun of the Dead. Hmm. I okay. love Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And I dressed up as Shaun mm-hmm. this time last year. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, happy anniversary to that. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just so, so funny. What is Shaun? Shaun, yeah. It's, yeah, but World's End, man. Um. What was I saying? Oh, so do you remember the first time is a song that plays in the background of one of the first pubs they... It's the first pub they stop at when um, Nick Frost's character is drinking water. I don't remember, no. Mm, fuck you then. <laughs> sure. Um, but the music video for that is inspired by an experimental filmmaker named Tony Hill, who's... That does not sound like an experimental name. It's, it, right? It doesn't. Sounds but like such he, a normal, yeah. He's like a, he's like a regular fella. Nice. But he did this film called Downside Up, uh, short film. It's fantastic. And he makes his own camera rigs that you just, oh, you just oh I think I've heard of this guy. Yeah. yeah and yeah. he, God, he's amazing. Nice. You just have to watch it. Mm. It's the most brilliant manipulation of plane I've ever seen in my life. Plane. Yeah. Mm, interesting. It's beautiful. And so the music video for Do You Remember the First Time is directly inspired by it. More stolen. And Jarvis Cocker specifically discovered Tony Hill while he was at uni and nice. watched Downside Up and said, I want to make a music video like that. Hmm. That's, okay. a, that's a tidbit. That was a really elongated tidbit. So, all right. Broadly speaking, yes, I reckon there's three, maybe four, but three reasons people watch movies. Ooh. For entertainment reasons. Yeah. For um, escapism reasons. Which Wait, can kind know, of oh, be entertainment a little bit. Okay, for entertainment reasons, for story reasons, and for cultural reasons, which one would you say you're the most? Um, I disagree with you. Okay. I think people watch movies not for any conscious reason. I think the reason we watch movies is completely subconscious. Oh, I'm not saying like people mm. intend to be like... Ooh, instead of a novel movie, I'd rather watch a movie. Mm. But like... I think I watch films because I like them. I just really love film. And I think mm-hmm. if you like... If, if you look at my letterbox, like I really struggle to give anything below... If I hate something, I will give it. I will One be... Star. Yeah, I'll be very... I can... 
be very, I can very quickly become harsh, but a majority of the time... The Captain America's one star. <laughs> no, less. Oh, cute. As long as it goes. Yeah. Zero. Fuck that can guy. You, give zero? you can't. It's frustrating. Huh, well, you can give it like nothing, and then you can just do it again. Anyways, um, a lot of my reviews are like four, four to five stars because I just I really fucking like film, and a lot of the mm. time I will watch anything and everything, and I will probably end up doing it all at once. Sorry. <laughs> and I just a good majority of the time I do really like things. Uh, I think that's also because I tend to pick movies that I know I'll like. There have been movies where I've watched where I've been like, I fuck this. Mid. Mm. So um, you rewatch films a lot? Um, not a lot. Not recently. I think I'm ve- the one movie I really want to rewatch right now is Sexy Beast. Sexy um, Beast. It's the same director who did Under the Skin, and I didn't know that. Oh. And I mm. love Sexy Beast. It is. One of my favorites of all time. I just haven't rewatched it recently enough to really assertively say that. But God, it's good. Mm. I watched it. That was one I watched. I think like fifteen, mm-hmm. and I didn't properly get at the time. But I think when I rewatch it now, I'll be like, yeah, because nice. there's a lot of things. Oh, God, it's good. God, yeah, God. nice. I try I not put to that rewatch on my letterbox watch list. Mm. Guys, if you don't have letterbox, get letterbox. Yeah, um, follow and, me, Miso yeah. Parker. Follow I... me at. Movie watching. <laughs> I just I try really hard not to rewatch. I sometimes if I catch myself being like, "Oh, I rewatch it," I'll be like, "No, I have to be watching new things right now." Um, hmm. So when I, generally speaking, I don't adhere to any genre that I really love, mm-hmm. or any time period that I really love, because I really like all of it. I don't mm. love some of the two thousands stuff. I don't love some of the newer <laughs> stuff. Obviously. oh back to the way really quickly back to the marvel discussion i had a thought about how i was thinking about how sad it is that uh a lot of the movies being made now just don't get enough of a commercial recognition or they don't get enough of a release in commercial theaters and and then i was thinking about how crazy it is that like back in when hitchcock was active Going to the cinema to watch Rear Window was very normal. You, now, that isn't. Mm. Because we don't have our equivalent of like a Rear Window to go to see. Like when you go to the cinema, mm. you're watching very commercial blockbuster things. Yeah. And I was thinking about how Triangle of Sadness, the this year's um, Palme d'Or winner, yeah. doesn't have a commercial release in cinemas. doesn't have like a That's long-standing one, good solid couple of weeks in a dandy. Yeah, yeah. Or in, no, like, in, 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 in events. Mm. And... I'm just thinking about how, like, in, like, pre-Marvel, that was the norm for Palm Dior winner to stay in a cinema for a couple of weeks, hmm. or at least a week. And now, in my opinion, because of Marvel that, and because of a lot bigger commercial movies, that doesn't happen as much. Yeah. Like, movie marketing has so sad changed the industry so much. Because, oh, like, God, whenever, yeah. like, I mean, like, even my parents, but, like, whenever I would, like, watch old movies mm-hmm. or like hear like my like parents' generation like my aunts and uncles talk about it or like when you like i don't know when you consume culture from before the 2000s mm. people talked about movies a lot more yeah like when people would list like things about their date that they liked they'd be like yeah they were funny you know like they like were like generous they liked and understood and 
got movies, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. But these days, you know, like, movie appreciation isn't, like, a quality yeah. that, like, you even see represented that much. Anyway. No, literally, people are like, what's your type? What do you look for in a partner? And all the time, I'm always like, oh, I'm like, I don't have a type. My fucking type is if you like movies. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I could not at all imagine being with or being someone who doesn't yeah. who isn't as crazy about film like there's i can't remember I, the name like, but like there's this um really nice bollywood film in which recent you know how like like or old uh it's not that old it's like 90s oh nice but you know how like in like a classic romance they're not going to like each other at the start. And then, like, oh. in this one scene, after that point, they start, like, enemies liking each other, lovers. whatever. Yeah, nice. Classic. It's not enemies to lovers, per se. It's just, like, you know. Mild like dislike. Romance yeah. develops. Yeah. It's like a, it's an unlikely romance. Mm. Um, and the scene in which they, yeah, like, start developing feelings for each other mm. is, like, this discussion about a film. And, like, the woman changes his mind. Oh, that's film. lovely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that's nice. Mm. And you don't really get scenes like that anymore. Yes. See, like, honestly, I do genuinely really think that Marvel and big commercial blockbuster films are killing cinema and killing cinema appreciation because they're becoming the norm of entertainment. When back in the day, the norm of entertainment was, it had a lot of variety. You had your mm. Casablanca and you had your Rear Window, you know? You yeah. had... Sorry, those are two different time periods. Very. I'm really bad with dates, but I know... Casablanca, What's today? Oh, 22nd. The Golden Mile Day. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. Casablanca's 20 and the Rear Window's 40s? 40s or 50s? One of those. Oh, great. Anyways, but there were there, there was variety. In the in I the 80s... Rear Window's definitely 50s. Definitely. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least 50s, it's in if not later. Which it was, yeah. Wizard of Oz was the first that color too, film. But it really, I think it like really took off around the time of fucking, what's, what's that fucking James Dean film? Something Car. <laughs> James Dean film, Something Car, that's all of them, man. Uh, <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, that doesn't really matter. Um, Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, but, Which was Yeah, but early like 50s. in, say, like the early 80s, Maybe. you know, there was such a. Good variety of quality, and you could go to a cinema and you could watch some vastly different like things. Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you had Indiana Jones, but you also had like Blue Velvet. Mm. You also just had good shit mixed in. Yeah. Now, when you go to a cinema, it's so saturated with only commercial things, and that's why I try very, like, obviously, I'm trying very hard to support like the Ritz and the Golden Age. Mm. Hashtag shout out. But it's expensive. And, you know, the Valhalla Cinema, rest in peace. Rest in peace. The most beautiful cinema I've only ever heard of in stories from my parents and my it's friends' literally parents. literally mythological. It legitimately is. Like, it is, it, it's, be, it's like a household name of something I will never see. Um, and their tickets were like four bucks for a double feature of like Solaris and Koi Nascazi. Nice. Or a double feature of like, Rear Window and Dial M for Murder, and that was a classic night in. Mm. And you could go there, and you could always go and see A Razor Head or Paris, Texas, or just classics, mm. classic art films. And now 
that's just not a thing. No. And it makes me deeply, deeply sad. Like, the thing is, they're still, they're still made, but they're just not really... Released. Yeah. But they are, but then they aren't. But they're not, like, released, you mm. know? They're not, like, brought, like, they're not, like, sent to the world. Yeah. Because I always found art house and, like, countercultural so interesting because coming from India, there wasn't really that much of it. Right. Like, in, like... Well, I don't know much about, like... You guys got some good art house shit, though. Yeah, but, like, apart from Tollywood and Nollywood and, like, all the other, um, like, smaller ones, smaller, like, Indian, like, spheres, Bollywood is so fucking industrial. Oh, Like, it's still very much like the Hollywood model. Yes. Apart from, like, uh, them owning cinemas, it's still very much like you have, like, people... Massive ...on these long contracts, massive sets. You have, like... People that, you know, do, like, the individual thing. Like, you have people that are employed just to, like, write, write lyrics. You have musicians, yeah. like, music departments, art departments Massive that are just, just for movies. Nothing yeah. else. Yeah. And, like, and you get, you still get, like you said, art house and whatever films. But they're within this, like, gigantic industry. But you know what? Whereas here, you don't have that. They're still of quality. I would, like, so, I so prefer Bollywood over Marvel. Like, I watched Gungabai recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So fun! Yeah. Oh, my God! Like, it is yeah. literally fantastic. Mm. And I know that it has the same thing of it's a spectacle, it's it's pure entertainment, mm. but I had, a, I had a lot more fun investing in that story world than I would for, yeah. you know? Or, like, Captain America. Mm. And I just felt... I just loved it. I had a really great time, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think, like... For me, even though Bollywood is very commercial and it's a massive industry and it's it as an industry it almost has the same weight as Marvel, I honestly feel more inclined to it and I like it more. Yeah. See the thing is like I feel like Bollywood can afford to have flops. Yes. Like because it's so big and because it makes both the blockbusters and like the art house and like niche and weird horror weird erotic whatever have you films it can just like release them and even if they don't do so well Mm. even if they only have like a cult or whatever following they'll still keep making them whereas i feel like hollywood or netflix disney whatever it is these days you know there's doesn't feel like they can take those risks yeah like harking back to auntie donna there's i think it's a podcast where they're talking about the process of making their netflix show and I think it's Broden Kelly who says this. One of them says it. And it's a quote that, I don't know, stuck with me. Um, they're talking about the fact, I think it's a Q&A, and there's a question about, like, how did they even get it made with Netflix? Because um, their comedy's weird, but even Big Old House of Fun is tame compared to some of their other stuff. And one of them is talking about how Netflix is kind of like this mother of all of these kids and if one of them falls off a skateboard, it's all right because there's still a bunch of other kids. So if one of them flops, it's okay because the success of all of the others will cover it. Like the success of Stranger Things is covering any other Netflix show that might like flop right now. It. Yeah. Like half of Netflix is covered by Stranger Things. Yeah. So it, like genuinely, people like us and the art house kids, we need Marvel to actually survive because without Marvel, counterculture wouldn't exist. And, I think it would, anyway, yeah. Mm, but also without the mainstream, the counter to it doesn't happen. 
And without the mainstream, it doesn't actually push us to want to pursue art and counterculture. And, you know, without almost without the pressure of how shitty Marvel movies are, it doesn't motivate us to make... Like, if, all, if every movie made was really good and every movie... If art house was mainstream, you know, we wouldn't be as challenged. Hmm. So it's almost, like, to be controversial, it's almost good that Marvel happens because it keeps us in our corner. It, ke- <laughs> it, it keeps us alternative. Yeah. Which is a positive and a negative. Yeah. And... I mean, I, I get that, but... Sorry. No, yeah. And it's sort of like, with Netflix, is like, you can make a flop with them because you will be covered by Stranger Things. Yeah. Or, God, what else do they make? So much. Same with sort of like Adult Swim, because you, if you make a flop with Adult Swim, you'll be covered by Rick and Morty. <laughs> like, or the Eric Andre show that have a very selfish yeah. cult following. Some of it's moving to HBO, though. Oh, of course. So, of course. But, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you in the sense that, like, counterculture wouldn't exist if that didn't, but I feel like you still have good movies. I feel like you'd still have good cinema, but it's interesting that there is that space, which is only relative to like the mainstream blockbuster stuff mm. for weird art house, you know, like experimental, whatever cinema. Yeah. Like, honestly, I would love to see a version of the world where more experimental art house things were the mainstream. Mm. And then to see what becomes counterculture to art house. Yeah. You know? Mm. I think that would be really fascinating. Yeah. Perhaps it would be movies that just make perfect sense. And where the, where the audience are told, like, every plot point. And the exposition is really extreme. Like, you know, like I do love old Hollywood. I do. Mm. Yeah. What do you think of um, Gilda? I actually missed that screening. Um, oh, okay. And then I didn't. I was like, I'll watch it on the weekend. And then I didn't. Oh, because so everyone Blanca, hated it. How do you think? What do you well, feel about that? Well, I'll speak to uh, Casablanca. I didn't finish. Mm-hmm. Not on purpose. Um, I got distracted. But also I was like, God, I feel hit over the head. And I, like, I was enjoying it. But I was just like. And I was watching Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And I remember. I think I got very close to finishing that one. And then didn't. I don't, there's like, there's like a whole group of films I haven't properly finished watching because I get to a point of like, is it, I kind of know where this is going. I don't know if it's worth it. Um, and I sound pretentious and wanky. I'm like, I never finished watching Sunset Boulevard. Like, how annoying is that? If I was listening to this podcast and I heard myself say that, I'd be like, you're a cunt, but you watch Sunset Boulevard and tell me how it goes because I like it. I enjoyed it. And I, but I think I only liked it looking back on it. Looking back on Sunset Boulevard, I liked it. But in the moment of watching it, I was like, oh my god, don't do not do not narrate again. If you narrate this, I'm going to leave. And I did. <laughs> like and I felt just I just felt way too hit over the head. And, and then, looking back, what'd you like? Mm, like retrospectively, I'm like, oh, that was a good film. I think I hated on it too much. And I think it's like objectively, sure, it's a good movie. I wouldn't put it in a canon and I wouldn't, it was watched and it was experienced, but I just feel, I, yeah, I just felt hit over the head. And I think sometimes I didn't feel like I was valued as an audience. Yeah. I felt like, I, I just felt like I was like being treated as like a dumb audience member. And that's really mm. what old Hollywood was about. Yeah. A lot of it was just, yeah. Mm. And just then straight up exposition. Yeah. And then, so when we watched, experimental shit 
and mm-hmm. we watched. I know Bicycle Thieves still kind of hits you over the head a little bit, but it does it less so. And I was like, God, this is so much better. Yeah. I last year at Marin Bad. I mean, I'm glad I watched it, but the more I think about it, the more a little bit of dislike grows in me. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you thinking about? Um, it's a movie that I continuously come back to, and I'm like, did I like it? Right. And I have to like, I have to stop and be like, did I like it? Because I don't know. Yeah. It's really difficult for me to answer that. Oh, I'm gonna rewatch it when I'm like 30 years old, okay. and and then I'll decide. I think yeah. that's my plan. I wonder how I would have felt about it if I watched it when I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's yeah, it's interesting because I love that film. It yeah. Was, Potentially, oh, it, so it could just be like an age thing. Because I watched, um, I watched American Beauty. Right. I I remember I watched that at thirteen or fourteen, uh-huh. maybe thirteen, and was like, "Oh my god, this is cinema!" Right? Obviously, I hadn't seen a lot of other films. And Kevin Spacey wasn't cancelled then. <laughs> Kevin, yeah, Kevin Spacey was just Kevin. Yeah. Um, and then I rewatched it now at like eighteen and was like, "Oh, I still really like this." Hmm. I wouldn't call it like the pinnacle of cinema, but God, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm gonna have to. Last year at Marinbad is one I'm saving in my back pocket for just give me like ten years and I'll I'll come back to it. Because for me, like I I liked it so much because like it just hits you on the head with mm. everything except like exposition, and, like <laughs> story, and yeah. Like, it's know, a, like, it's a, all those things. It's a movie with so much story yet no story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like exactly. I love that. Yeah, it's I all love... about like the fucking little details. I think that... and, like why the music suddenly crescendoing. Yeah, and like why do we have like these so things? many jump scares of organ? Yeah, they, like their audio mixing was and, like, terrible. Sudden close up <laughs> and, like sudden wides. Yeah, and I do love. It's really disorienting, and I love that. I yeah. think for me, genuinely, part of the reason why I didn't like it is because I got. About 20 minutes in, I there was so much anxiety within me while I was watching oh. it. And I felt so, like, disgustingly anxious. And it wasn't like an anxiety or a panic attack. It was just this growing sense of nausea and just discomfort in watching this film. And so much, like, fear, literal terror watching it because it was for me if i was that woman and i was stuck in this hotel and i had nowhere to go with a husband that didn't love me and wouldn't protect me if things got out of hand with a man effectively gaslighting me for days on end harassing me and not leaving me alone and coming up to me and saying like i know you and you did this and i had no recollection of it that is so terrifying like that's Genuinely the stuff of nightmares. Having someone harass you into into false memories, so terrifying. Mm. And I think I just sat in the cinema like with this feeling in my stomach like, oh, I hate this. And I think that really affected my thoughts on the movie. Mm. And I think that's why I have to rewatch it where I'm in a state of not. I just, I cannot did describe. Did I tell you my theory about this, about that movie? You didn't. Oh, we discussed theories, but what's your main? My theory is that, like, the mm. lover and the husband are the same character. Oh, that's right. And, like, this fucking gigantic, opulent palace and, like, gardens are something, like, she's created to, like, escape from him. 
You see, I had a thing of, I think the guy... Like, she wants to get lost within these worlds. She wants to, like, she wants to be somewhere that's, which is, like, so elaborate that neither he or she can remember what was going on, where it was, mm. apart from, like, mm. it was in Marienbad somewhere. Yeah, I had this theory that, like, maybe she did meet um, the crazy guy at some point. Or maybe mm-hmm. she, like, passed him on the street. And yeah. I feel like she was on this holiday with her annoying, boring husband who's obsessed with this card game. And she's like, God, you're you're annoying. You're a twat. And I thought she just invented the guy, maybe, as a form of excitement in her life because it was so boring. But then I, I, I thought about that. I got that theory like halfway through the movie and then I sort of found myself not believing it. It was a passing thought, basically. Uh, by the time the movie had ended, I was like, actually, I don't know. And I don't know if I care what really is the correct version of the plot because it's just a movie that's like a thing. It's just like mm-hmm. a thing that you sit and you watch and you go, oh, that happened, bye. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. And I think part there's a really big part of me that is like, no, I should like this. I should. But mm. there's another part of me that is like, oh, but do I? Why, why do you think you should like it? Because it's beautiful. And I think the fact the fact that it was able... Art. Yeah. Right. The fact that it had such a visceral response incited within me is makes me want to like it. Because mm. I do love when a film has the ability to do that. Yeah. And a lot of the organ was responsible for that and fuck i love a good organ oh. organ is severely underrated yeah have like you, have you heard films which have like a good harp no oh, harp <gasps> you gotta send me a list of harp films with good. good harp in them mm. but i my local church um has like organ like recitals and i'm always very tempted to go because i do really love organ and i loved the way last year at Marinbad used organ for me, though, what also ticked me off was that we watched it in the context of um, a lecture about the French New Wave. Yeah. And I watched Marinbad being like, this is, what? This is this doesn't fit into the lecture. Yeah, it does. It's, about, it's a left bank director. It's not fucking Godard or whatever. Yeah, but I, I thought it was so, it was so gothic and it was so, like, in the context of a lecture about a genre of film that was about youth movements and this, like pe- kids out on the street, not opulence and not rich people in, mm. in hotels and manners. I just felt discomforted in that. And I was a bit like, Duncan, fuck you, man. I was expecting kids running around the streets of Paris, terracing. Yeah. Like my main criticism mm. of that film like would be the fact that when you have this opportunity to create something experimental, like, and I, I get, obviously, they're trying to be artsy, wanky, whatever you want to call it. But you don't need to, like, make it about, like, rich people or about opulence, about, like, yeah. old-timiness, whatever, to make it art. Like, that's... Yeah, that's, this is why I love... Which the, is what I didn't expect from left-bank people, because yes. apparently from, like, more working-class... Exactly. So when Duncan was, like, we're watching, like, a left-bank movie, I was like, oh, yeah. yay, like, lower-class stuff mm. and then i was watching Marinbad, like okay like when when do the poor people appear when yeah. when do we transition out of the hotel and we never left the hotel and i was like oh i felt really claustrophobic and it was kind of like for me Marinbad, i view it as like tim burton's the shining oh, okay like it was so gothic and it was so claustrophobic mm. and i was like yeah. Why are we why are we not watching masculine feminine? Please. Because like in the in the lecture when like um 
What did I forget his name? Duncan? Duncan, yeah. No, hey, how could Jeff Day you forget Duncan? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> hey, shout out Duncan if you're listening. Love <laughs> in, you. Love you, Duncan. In in the lecture when Duncan was all like, so, you know, like the Kaya du Cinema filmmakers, mm. they were all about like taking traditional stories mm. and making it weird. Mm. Whereas like the left bank were more about like, experimenting with film itself as a genre and that's very reflected in Marinbad. Yeah. i so see i understand why he chose it but also i don't but like after he said that i was like oh cool if they're experimenting with like convention you know i would love to see like a story that's like rooted in like you know yeah the politics of france mm. at the time that's rooted in like like the fact that all these it's not just in cinema but like in life like young people are like defying convention mm-hmm. all these things like people don't want to live like a stock standard like lifestyle anymore but yeah. the film was about like this fucking like rich ass upper class like yeah couple yeah you know, which, and i like, think you don't care about and i wanted to empathize with them which the film but is I like struggled yes yeah, they were rich. Like, the film wants you to like care about them and you uh. you do feel what they're feeling but you don't care about that. I personally didn't. Like, I I get, mm. you know, I get, like, longing, you know, like, whatever, like, a loss of beauty, like, etc. Whatever you want to call it. You know, like, the end of the honeymoon period, whatever. Yeah. But I don't care for them. I don't, no, I don't, I don't care for the characters. No, no. no. They just... Uh, and I know that's partially what the French New Wave wanted to do. They partially wanted to have these characters that were, like didn't have goals, didn't have wants, they were just existing, and the audience don't necessarily have to empathise with them because audiences are always emotionally manipulated in film. And, you know, it's, it's, again, that idea that Brecht was talking about where he was sick of theatre emotionally manipulating audiences. So he made theatre that made you aware that they were actors. So you actually don't have the chance to empathise with them. And I like that. I do really like that in theatre and film. But if There's a lot more room for it in theatre. Yeah. But I just... I was really expecting... Well, commercially, sorry. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I was just really not expecting that for a French New Wave pick. I just would not have screened that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have done Breathless either. But no, I, I wouldn't have either. I've a lot of French New Wave. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. God, yeah. I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I could talk about it forever. Yeah. Is, is 400 Blows French New Wave? Ask Flynn. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've literally only seen like Breathless, Marinbad, and Four Hundred Blows. If that counts, I haven't seen a whole lot of French New Wave. I don't. I don't want to say I think it does in case I get bullied for it. Whatever. Um, We're gonna bully you regardless. So um, true. (laughs) Yeah. But myself included. You might hate me for this. Say it. (laughs) But I'm one of those people that like, once I get a taste for from once I get a taste of something. Uh, I often think that's enough, and I move on. That's not like like to me sometimes. like when I when I watch Breathless, I'm like, all right, I've got a taste of French New Wave. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> I I, I do the same thing. I can be a little bit impatient because all I've seen in French New Wave is masculine and feminine, and I'm such right. a cunt about it because I'm like, oh, I love this movie, and then people be like, what else have you seen from New Wave? And I'm like, oh, not a lot, <laughs> which is terrible of me. Like I know that is deeply irresponsible of me as a filmmaker, as a student of film. That is terrible of me to do. But I just really liked it. And, like, the alternative title is, like, The Children of Marx and Coca-Cola. And I just... <laughs> right? Uh. Like, it's a good time. 
And it's That's just, a great title. Yeah, I, mean, I would have gone with that. <laughs> me too. Fuck you, Goda. Um, um, but it's just a good time about kids existing in Paris, doing shit, being poor, going to the movies, falling in love, falling out of love, mm. creating things, doing things, having to deal with housing. Have fun. Oh, that's 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 pretty. That's you pretty know, and it's oh, it's so good. Sorry, having a job, smoking ten thousand cigarettes every single second because it's a French New Wave film and everyone has to be smoking all the time. All right. Um, today's podcast recommendation is masculine feminine. Oh, and also um, uh, something Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. That's not a film. But it's a TV show. Okay. TV show. So oh, okay. I'll do that. I guess. I guess come on, come on, come on. Okay, sure. Give me that. And also Paris, Texas. And also Blue Velvet. And also any of and Rope Hitchcock. Well, there will be there'll be the citations list. Thank God. But the main recommendation is masculine feminine. What? Men, what? <laughs> the main recommendation is uh, Top Gun. Uh, go and go and this episode is sponsored by Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, uh, Tom Cruise is actually on and our episode. He, yeah, episode. Uh, and you should join the U.S. military. Can you like dress up as Tom Cruise? Hey, it's me, Tom Cruise. Hey, oh my God! Hey, oh, hey, how are you? Uh, I'm doing a podcast, man. Why are you interrupting? Like, I just wanted to say, hey. Why are you everywhere? Do you like my new film? You literally, I haven't seen it. What the fuck? Is it as gay as the original podcast? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, then I'll watch it. Yeah, I fuck like ten guys. Nice in the plane while nice. it's moving. Yeah. yeah, join the U.S. military, kids. Oh, wait, one more pet peeve. DC ah. movies are funded by the U.S. military. Like literally, Iron Man. Aren't, aren't like literally all the Transformers in? Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and so now if official documents have come out saying how Top Gun is military propaganda for the U.S. Um, came out like a couple of days ago, and people are like, "Wow, we're not surprised." Oh, yeah, only like, a couple of days ago. Okay. What? Well, yeah, and like people are like, "This is not surprising." <laughs> like, yeah. you look at the credits, and like half of it is the military. Yeah, and it's like, I why would you voluntarily want to? Like, you go, you go to the cinemas, right? Picture this: you're walking into Dendy Newtown, you spot Sean Campbell. Oh, hey, Sean. Hey, Sean, and he's like, "Hey, mate, what can I do for you?" Uh. And you you think to yourself, yes, I want to go and watch Shooty Shooty Bang Bang. I'm a man with a gun in the in the in the Americas, and I get to shoot foreigners. Yes, we have to beat. We have to go into Vietnam, or we have to go into the Middle East, and we got to shoot all the people. Yay! Like, oh, but they wear it in a special suit, so it's fine. They wear oh. it. They, it's but it's fine because they're the Avengers. Or, you know, whatever, you know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, like, I, obviously a lot of film is propaganda. You could, uh, like, you All could... Uh, film is propaganda. Yeah, pretty much. It's propaganda yeah. for having a good life. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. there are movies or where you life. Like, or a bad life, yeah. But, you know, movies like Harold and Maud, where you're like, this is propaganda for me to be happy. Mm. Well, so, because of Maud's um, views on life, and you're just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh I miss her. Mm. I've, never, good. I've never met her and I miss her so much. I want 10... Th- I, God, I wish she was in my life. God. If I could bring one movie character to life, it would be Maud. And then I would be in love with her. Fuck Harold. Damn. Yeah. Uh, wait, at like 79? or Yeah, uh, why not? 
Whoa. But I would, like, stop her from dying at 80. I don't think you could. That defeats the point of bringing <sighs> her back to life. But that's... I'd be so sad. You can't, That's the condition. No, I don't want to. I'm not bringing. She was in the movie. No, okay, no, I'm not bringing her back to life. Okay, who, if you could bring any fictional character to life, and also, like, (sighs) that you can choose for them to, like, be your best friend and stuff, who? Because I'm going to change my answer to Gary King from The World's End. But specifically, he's, like, 18 year old character. Of course. Yeah. Of course, he would. No. He's so toxic, though. Yeah, but I'm alright with it. <laughs> oh my god, he's, no. he's so like he's, this podcast does not condone toxic. He's behavior. like so hot that he's allowed to get away with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, but hey, Simon Pegg. Hey, Simon, if you're listening, I'm who was that? Free. Actor? It was an entirely different actor. He's married with like kids. But yeah, but anyways. the actor who played Gary King. No, guy. no, I, whatever. <laughs> you know what? What? Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor's pretty good from, from... the Terminator. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that's good. She's that's pretty, good. That's a good, good. Or, or like, um, I think it's Ridley from Alien. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I had a I had a history teacher who we bonded over like communism and film. Mm-hmm. Um, because your two favorite things. Yeah, obviously. Fuck yeah. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, that's why I love Mexican film. And, um, <laughs> You uh, have the masculine, which is film. You have the feminine, which, which is, is communism. communism. God, yeah. Um, I was in class once, and he just started. He made a reference to Alien Three and pointed at me. Was like, Parker, you would like Alien Three because it's a as a like leading woman in it. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, you should watch Alien Three. <laughs> I was like, all right, I will. So yeah, is that the one in which she gets like the robot? I'm pretty sure. Nice. I don't know. To be honest, I can't remember. It was in the middle of a lecture on, like, Leninism, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you seen the first Alien? Yes, but I was young. I was very young. And so my memories of it are, like, the gory bits. Where You know, like, they're lying on their back and it squirts out of the stomach. It's so good. Mm. That's... I I must have been, like, nine years old and seen that and been like, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. That's cool. Nine years old, fuck. Maybe, like, ten yeah, that's I, I, I remember like watching Jackass with my dad yeah. and I was like nine and being like what is this and my dad was like comedy <laughs> I was like yeah and that's why you like Auntie Dog yeah your dad showed you Jackass when I was a small child I'm making him out to be like a guy with like with like the most basic taste he's also he's a naughty guy he worry. sounds like yeah like no, he would have been he sounds like one of those nerdy gen x guys ma- gen x yeah how old are gen x gen x would be like in the 40s or 50s maybe. okay yeah cool yeah. yeah okay yeah he's pretty nerdy my mom's gen x and she's what is she she's 70 born in 1970 oh. so they're born i think because, yeah, baby boomers, I think, I think both my parents were... 50 to 65? So 65 to 80 is Janet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Slay. Because my... Uh, yeah, my family, like, as in just my parents, massive movie heads. God. And so people like David Lynch, Spike Lee, um, Tarantino, um, less so, but still, uh, Gus Van Sant... Um, Hitchcock, mm. Fellini, those are all like household names. And I kind of forget that it's not really that way for everyone else. So mm. when I will drop those into conversation and people will just be like, I don't know who they are. And I'm like, huh? 
So I fortunately and unfortunately grew up in like a very snob environment. <laughs> I think mm. I think my parents molded me to be a snob. When people talk about nature versus nurture, it was very much nurture where I had these two parents just relentlessly giving me good film recommendations. And it is because of them that I'm such just, I'm such a cunt now <laughs> about about my tastes, right? Um and like I love listening to people like Edgar Wright talk about their childhood movies and stuff, and like movies like Dirty Harry and um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and like those classics. And I love listening to that. And I feel like kids these days they don't have you know their versions of the thing and um, whatever we had growing up. I don't know. I mean, like I wonder how much of it is that there's a rejection today of like you know old stuff in general. Mm. Like, cause, cause you grew up with like your parents' taste of you know like art house, like yeah. all these like, like British invasion music, etc. Right? Yeah, and like I don't. Reject... But like these days, what would other people have grown up with? Like... Yeah, and like I don't reject Sunset Boulevard just because it's old, and I don't even reject it entirely. There's just a tiny bit of me I reject it, just a tiny bit because of its use of exposition. And that's just my own film pet peeve. But I don't reject it because it's an old film. Mm-hmm. And I would like, and I really am worried, I guess, for the kids growing up now who their idea of media is like TikTok. And I know that's like terrible of me to say. And it's like, oh, kids these days on their TikTok. Blah, 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 blah. But like, it is a bit depressing. And I know it's really wanky of me to say, but a lot of people will grow up never really being aware of some of the more artsy counterculturally things that yeah, we grew up that way. Hmm? People people grew up that way in like my generation. Yeah, absolutely. And no no no, it just there's a part of me that is sort of saddened by it. Mm, I think my parents definitely had like a particular my dad especially, he has that like old Bollywood taste. Like ah. my mom is very much, you know, like she loves like pop culture a lot mm-hmm. like she grew up on like michael jackson and like george martin oh, classic and like she grew up you know with like 80s music and like mm. films and like culture and oh, that fantastic. kind of stuff like uh, like like a john hughes kind of thing john i don't know like pretty in pink and first bueller and breakfast club kind of yeah 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 mm. kind of yeah that's that's a, that's a good very like saturated you know yeah. that vibe whereas my dad he's very much like one of those nerds who like grew up watching like old films like listening to like old music appreciating like photography like my dad mm. is way better than me at film photography <laughs> yeah I, oh, dads are such photographers my dad's like a photographer as well yeah. like photography is such a bad thing i don't know yeah like he, he yeah. was like hey can you get me this camera from jb hi-fi it's got like a good lens it's got like a super viewfinder and i'm like I don't know, like what people grow up with these days. Like, oh, yeah. why are they Guys, rejected? Why they don't comment, absorb, absorb put, it? Comment in the comment section down below what you grew up with. If you are under eighteen, because because like <laughs> if you are if you are under like sixteen years old, comment down below your your childhood media, please. Because growing up, I was actually drawn to like the art house, whatever circle in high school. Mm. Which like you know like Me too. grew up listening to like Beatles and like Velvet Underground and oh, like yes. 
yeah, watching like Fellini and yeah. reading like shit like Catcher in the Rye. Oh, that's fantastic! And, like, Jack Kerouac You're listening and to stuff the Beatles like and reading Catcher in the Rye. Interesting. I mean, I mean, just I'm just saying it in a very vague way. But <laughs> essentially, they were like people that had a particular culture and like particular taste. Even though it was like very white, I was drawn to it because everyone else around me, mm. like they had no conception of like how like culture can develop in society they were just only into like mainstream movies music and stuff which is fine mm. but i just find it hard to understand how you can like grow up and like being exposed to all this stuff and it's not affecting you yeah it's like imagine if you didn't share any taste with your parents that'd be fucked up but it's possible and it happened that like genuinely Why i think but How it would be it really heartbreaking for my parents like genuinely i think my mom would be so sad if i didn't like hitchcock and i think my dad would be so sad if i didn't like um like kubrick or something you know what i mean right. and like like do they you like kubrick yeah i do oh. a lot i do do i do and like I like obviously they're still gonna be like that's that's my kid love that kid but like I genuinely I don't know what they do like they and very specifically Paris Texas is one of my mom's just favorite movies of all time and she was almost kind of scared to show it to me in case I would hate it because she loves it so much that if I had hated it like it would have just been like you know when you just love a movie so much and someone says oh that was terrible it hurts a bit right yeah yeah and because you feel like that that's almost an attack on you personally because you love that movie so much that it's almost like a part of you but luckily Paris Texas has become a part of me now so and I loved it but she was almost like, I need to wait to show Paris, Texas to you in case you don't get it or in case you don't like it because she just loves it. And the same with a lot of music. In my house, music is just, music is king. Um, and it's just like... Is your dad also a records person? Oh, yeah. I, my record collection is inherited from my parents. Nice. And so I have this mix of like, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Pixies, The Clash, Dave Brubeck... Older, some older jazz stuff. Um, a lot of the Smiths. So much Smiths shit, right? My mom is like the Smiths, oh, and my dad is Radiohead. And so my dad was constantly playing Radiohead when I was like growing up. And so like we'd be in the car, and he'd be like, "Oh, sweetie, it's high, it's creep. You gotta turn it up all the way." And we'd be trying to like drive to school, and he'd be blasting creep at like eight a.m. And I'd be like, "Yeah, mm. it was great," and like. I, yeah, and that definitely affected me because I love Radiohead now, but mm. I don't know what they'd do if I was like this kid that loved Ed Sheeran and Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa's pretty good. Yeah. Ed Sheeran. Nah. <laughs> uh, 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 you yeah. know. Yeah, no, no, I get it, yeah. Yeah, and I think if I, when I, if I have kids, fuck, if, if they if they were like if they were said to me like I hate David Lynch I'd be like and get out of my house <laughs> I'd be like you are not my child you can go live on the streets mm. I'm getting you adopted out if my kid keep this keep this audio as like evidence and when I have kids you can be like one day in years to come you come yeah. to me and you'll say, well, what do they think you, of the lynch? And I'll you'd be, be like... You'd be kicking them out. And then they'd be like, why? And then you'd be like, hang on. 
Uncle Apuru's coming over to tell you exactly <laughs> why. <laughs> Your godfather's getting out and the I'll old get podcast. Old tape deck. I'll have it in like cassette. It's like the out. Evil Dead, where you just have this ba- this tape deck in the basement, and you bring it out. Yeah. Oh God. See, <sighs> like, I How can you not like Dave Brubeck. Mm-hmm. How can you not like Dave Brubeck? Right. God, he's just magical. He's quite good. Yeah. Yeah. See, and there are a couple of things where I'm like, how do you not like it? Like thing movies. Like with Howard and Maud, I don't think I've met someone who who dislikes it because it is just a good fucking movie. Mm. And if someone did dislike it, I would genuinely ask like, how and why. Mm. Same with um, in terms of music, I'm a bit like, how could you ever dislike you know like Joy Division, or um, I haven't heard that much. But Love Will Tear Us Apart. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, Love Will Tear Us Apart. Dragon. Like, how could you ever hate that song? You know, but in the same sense, I hate Ed Sheeran and someone could say to me, like, how could you hate Ed Sheeran? And I'll be like, mm, ugh, oof, ouch, you know? Yeah. So there's, a, there's two sides to everything. Yeah. Right. How would you react if your kids said to you, like, I hate Fellini? Or who do you hold, uh, who's the director you hold in the highest regard? As far as things I would want my kids to like. Mm. I would say, yeah, Sunday Love and Sally, he, like, directed Dumbubai and, like, Dave Das and, like, all these ones. And, ooh, if they didn't, like, Taika Waititi mm. or, like, Danny Villeneuve, or if they, like, if they didn't, like, jazz, or if they didn't, like, synthwave, I'd be like, get out. <sighs> Look, this is why when you're, you know, in, like, your 20s and you realize that there's been emotional distance, this is why. <laughs> You're in therapy. You hit a gold mine. You're like, oh god, I don't like jazz. That's 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 why my parent won't talk to me. <laughs> I said, I, yeah. I oh god, dis- I did. I didn't watch The Sopranos. <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I can't. <laughs> like, that's why my number's blocked. <laughs> yeah. God, we're gonna be terrible parents. Hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> not. It's up to them. Um. <laughs> yeah. If you, but what if you found out your kids were just lying to you? I mean, and in and in secret they listened to Ed Sheeran instead of Dave Brubeck. I would no seriously, like I would be like so sad. Yeah, if they just ate up whatever was like mainstream uncritically. Uh, yeah, I'd be you know? really sad. Like, and and not that's not a dig on mainstream stuff because sure, whatever, a lot of it is like fine. I don't really care, but I don't know. To me, it would just seem like they don't really care about like what else is out there Mm. that they just like care about things at a surface level it's kind of it shows a sense of now this could be quite mean but it's sort of lazy to 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 accept every single piece of media that comes as it is as the mainstream as it's coming out everything new modern all the time is a little bit Lazy, in my opinion, and I think the same applies to me. That you like, say that loud. yeah, it's a bit lazy. Like if you're not going out of your way to really properly explore music and film, and then you decide, oh, I don't like it. Great, you tried, and I'm proud of you. But like, if you're just gonna be complacent, it's a, it's an issue yeah, like of complacency. I listened, I listened to the Beatles. Didn't like them all that much. That's fine. Me too. I grew like when I was like six. I was like the Beatles and ABBA are the two best bands to exist. And now I'm like, oh, I don't think I could stand them too much. Mm. But I do still listen to like some of the White Album and what, yeah. whatever. You know, I listen to Helter Skelter because of Charles Manson. 
Oh, interesting. That's not even a joke. Yeah, I was like researching Charles Manson one day, read about Helter Skelter, listened to it, was like, oh, it's a good song. Hmm. And I literally only listen to Helter Skelter to this day because of Manson. Yeah. It, it just means that, like, you don't care about finding out about culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is quite a sad existence. Hmm. I sort of, it's not a nice existence to not, yeah. sorry, to not care about art, culture, life, etc. It's a bit worrying. It just it just makes me a bit like, whoa. And, whoa. Uh, I wonder why Be Realty keep talking. Okay. Oh, you'll be That's really... sponsored also today by Be Realty. Yeah, so we're sponsored by Top Gun Maverick and we're also sponsored by uh, Be Real. Um, so please go and download Be Real. Uh, you can find it in the App Store. Um, to now. By now. And go and watch Top Gun Maverick in cinemas. <laughs> oh my god. Charlotte's watching Seinfeld. Is she? I love Seinfeld. Yeah. It's getting back on track to the podcast. It's about movies and sometimes TV. If my kids don't like Seinfeld. Out. Oh my that, god, they're that's out. That's interesting. Yeah. But it's not not like grounds for No, nah, my parents specifically showed me Seinfeld. Okay. Seinfeld was always on in my house also because yeah. the channels just always had Seinfeld on but also like my parents love it and I was like oh this is good I like this and sometimes I do I sometimes go out of my way to watch out of my way to watch episodes because I'm like this is a fun time mm. it's a very and, easy watch yeah yeah which is yeah. very interesting right yeah but if they didn't like something like peep show I'd be like oh oh yeah that would be sad yeah. And, like, I definitely think that watching Seinfeld is my version of watching a Marvel movie. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah, fair enough. Because you don't have to think a lot. It's generally pretty funny, mm. and you generally have a good time. Yeah. I think if my kids, in terms of TV, if my kids didn't like, sort of, like, The League of Gentlemen, Inside Number 9, Garth Rangi's Dark Place, and um, some of the classic, like, Britcoms... You know, like IT crowd black books. If they didn't like Britcom in general, I would be like, "You got to start considering the streets, buddy." Have you ever thought about being adopted? Because <laughs> and like, yeah, and shit like Peep Show. Fucking yeah, Peep Show. Yeah. Bush. I have really mixed opinions towards the Bush. Okay. The more I think about it, because I actually fucking love Howard Moon, and I love Howard Moon more than I love Vince Noir. Controversial. Yeah. Uh, event like overtime people. I matured. Usually, the first time I watched Boosh, yeah. I was like, "Oh my god, Vince Noir is my he's favorite. So cool. He's so yeah. cool." And then I was like, "He's so immature and mean to Howard, and I love Howard, and I deeply relate to him." Mm. The fact that his calendar is completely empty except for Jazz Club, I'm like, "God, that's me. God, that's, so that's like me with film." Oh, uh, it's, I'm like, I just I just love Howard. I want him. I just want justice for him. Yeah. Vince Noir gets everything in life because he's got a cool fucking haircut. But Howard Moon with his dorky little fedoras and, and turtlenecks, little, <laughs> little eyes. That man needs some yeah. love in his life. God, I really like this specific genre of TV where it's like men who can't get bitches, like Flight <laughs> Flight of the Concords, like Peep Show, Crowd. and Mighty Boosh, and IT Crowd. Mm. I love the IT crowd. And it's always these four shows where it's like, it's about two male main characters that are so, that could be gay for each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. definitely IT crowd, Roy and Moss are like, I don't know if what they could. What have they been doing for eight or whatever years? Like, they've, been they've just together. been dating each other effectively without ever yeah. saying it. 
Like they need each other's entire social life. Yeah, like they need to stop trying to date women because it doesn't work. They need to wake up to the fact that they are mm. gay and in love. Yeah. And I feel like that's... Same with like hot fuzz. I feel like that wouldn't be as like funny or as much of like a meta joke yeah. after the 2000s. But yeah, agreed. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think considering Graham Linen... Line Linehan. I don't care how to pronounce his name because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a massive turf. Oh, uh, yeah. There was I yeah. Linehan. Anyway, Linehan. I, don't care. I don't care anymore. Graham Linehan, these nuts. More like <laughs> to the guys today. <laughs> sponsored by Arkham's nuts. <laughs> yeah, my nuts sponsor a lot of things. Um, no. They also sponsored Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> um, and. Uh, so yeah, he's a massive transphobe. So when you think about the episode where um, Matt Berry's character, Douglas Rennie. Matt Berry's so good. Fuck, I love Matt Berry. Oh. God, he's sexy. He's so good. God, he's a sexy man. Yeah. Him and what we do in the shadows. He could fuck me up. Oh, okay. Delete that. That's, cut that. Now we have an R18 rating. Yeah, I'm, sorry, just saying, I'm just saying that Matt Berry and what we do in the shadows, I'm like, mm. fuck yeah. Ooh, real quick. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Euphoria? Haven't seen it. Okay, I don't really have a desire to. I think when the mm. latest season was coming out um, back in March, I was like, oh, like maybe I should for irony's oh, no, sake. Oh, right, yeah. Okay. I, I have a friend who, <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who was watching it completely ironically and laughing at it and like treating it as a, oh. as a satirical comedy. And I actually did think Euphoria was a satire. And then someone was like, it's not. And I was like, what? And I thought Euphoria had this same feeling, like the way American Psycho is a complete satire on American businessmen culture, and it got taken seriously by the target demographic that they were making fun of. I thought Euphoria was a satire that was treated the same way as American Psycho. But no, it's... This is another thing about taking yourself too seriously, because you are Euphoria is a TV show that is so deeply unrealistic that it is so silly to take yourself that seriously. As if you're creating biting biting social commentary on the lives of teenagers. Like, no. No. You are funny and silly. Have you seen Skins? <laughs> uh, a couple episodes. Okay. But I like Skins a lot more. Yeah. Um, from my very limited yeah. experience. And I know Skins is just as unrealistic, but I think it takes itself less seriously because it's kind of aware. It's I mean, it, it takes itself seriously, but it's saying that it's saying more, in my opinion. It's it's saying more, but it's it's not putting as much weight into like being a teen. Like the point of skins is that you're like you know teens are terrible, teens are weird, teens like are dumb idiots, whatever. But at the end of the day, like you know, life goes on. That's why it's split up into like mini series because like yeah, these years of their lives, like who knows what's gonna happen when they grow up. Yeah, I Whereas, think... Whereas, like, Euphoria treats it like, okay, this is it, this is your entire life, this is the most important period you, of your Euphoria life. emphasizes that high school is your peak, and teenage them is your peak. And I think now, currently living as an 18-year-old, I guess I can speak to that a bit. I think... <laughs> just a bit. Uh, I think there is a lot of pressure to to peak as a teenager. I think that's really sad. And I don't think you have, a, I think in your life you will have heaps of peaks. And I know I'm speaking out of my ass. 
I, I'm so aware of that. But I genuinely did feel and still do feel this pressure of like, this is the best time of my life and I need to go out clubbing and drinking every single night and I need to be hot and sexy and have sex and, and, and do drugs and alcohol, weed. But like, no, it's not like that at all. Um, and especially with, I have a real pet peeve with media about teenagers. This real emphasis on high school relationships and being a teenager in love, it's never as good as it is in media. It's usually shitty and usually there's a lot of pressure to be like having sex because a lot of the time teenagers in media are having sex. And I think that is like such a gross pressure to put on 18 year olds that they need to be less. And it's like, like, stop. Same with Euphoria, because, like, sure, you know that the actors are, like, 20 or whatever, but you also forget that the characters they're portraying are, what, like, 17? 16. 16? Yeah. Really? Sometimes 15. But there's so many, there's so much sex. Yeah, there's a lot of sex, yeah. But they're, like, meant to be 16. That's so fucked up, in my opinion. And I really, this is a general sweeping take on media in general i just don't like the dominance of sex in media Mm. i think certainly the french would disagree the Um, french yeah excuse me that was a burp i don't know if the mic will pick it up i'll do a better one though um (laughs) i if you watch a french movie there's always a sex scene it's always unnecessary they will be having a conversation and then they will just cut to them fucking you'll be like why? The French would love the room. They would love the room. <laughs> the room is allowed to get away with so many sex scenes because it's very funny. <laughs> Tommy Wazoo. Oh, I love uh, him. Is it pronounced like a wazoo? I don't know. <laughs> Tommy Wazoo. Tommy up the wazoo. Um, oh, man, how do you say it? Wait, how do you say it? Wazoo? Wazoo? I don't know. I've just been it saying. French. Wizzo? Is he French? The name sounds French. You know, he's got the E-A-U. <laughs> Tommy Wazoo is neo-French new wave. <laughs> French new new wave. <laughs> uh, the Room. It Next. does break all the conventions. It does! Have My favourite part of The Room is that characters never know how to leave a scene. In fact, characters generally, they leave scenes all the time but for no reason. Like, my favourite part is when the girlfriend will be in the apartment her mother will enter and be like, oh, hi, darling, let's have a cup of tea. And then in, like, two minutes, she'll be like, oh, I just, I have to go now. You said you were staying for tea. It's, oh, I love it. I just, it's so good. Guys, please watch The Room. Don't, like, seriously. Okay, we're changing our recommendations. Yeah, no, do not watch Masculine Feminine. Watch The Room, because it's so much better. It's prerequisite to watching literally any other film. Seriously, I wasn't expecting it to be as bad good as it was i knew it was going to be bad i didn't think it was going to be so grossly just not have any awareness of what a film is Mm. i don't know if tommy's ever watched a film here's some food for thought give me i'm hungry if you you know how there's like that film canon whatever we discussed yes yeah if you could design an order of films for someone to watch mm. if they've never seen a film before like never. a general introduction to film say say someone's only seen marvel movies right whoa okay 
say if someone say in the future if someone's only seen like you know TikToks, what <laughs> are the films you would give them and in what order? Anyway, this is turn. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Are you expecting an answer now? No, 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 no. There's just something to think about. Okay, because I would definitely at some point give them Clockwork Orange. Oh, interesting. That would definitely be in there. I would just rather they read the book. Of course. Yeah. Oh, the, the book is a yeah. tough read because of the language. You do have to be checking the glossary every page. Same with reading like Train Spotting. I would definitely make them watch Train Spotting. I do think that that's a very important film to watch, in my opinion. Many tangents. Go. I've never had trouble reading something like A Clockwork Orange. Um, yeah, or what was the one you mentioned just then? Train Spotting? Train Spotting. Because Train Spotting is written in the accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or like Dune or whatever, because he uses like a lot of Arabic words. Like yeah. I've always, I've never had any qualms with that. But I wonder how much of that is because I'm like bilingual, oh. and I just like ex- and like you've seen everything everywhere all at once, right? Mm. Yeah, and I just you know it's like a normal thing to me that people speak in not English per se. That's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. See, so you've obviously read Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And what did you think? I liked it. Mm. Yeah. And I've, you've watched it as well? I've seen scenes. I haven't seen the whole thing. Everyone's seen scenes. The and, whole thing is, um, you know what? And I want to watch, like, the unedited version. Sorry, not not the unedited version. Director's the, Cut? Yeah, the one where they, like, get rid of the ending. Or they don't get rid of the ending? I can't remember which version I watched. Anyway, because I didn't like the book's ending. What's the book's ending? You can spoil it. That he grows up to be like a normal person. What? Yeah. Boring! Yeah. That sucks! Yeah. I'm pretty sure the movie's ending is ambiguous. That's it... the only way they could get it published, I guess. Because the movie ending is that he's in the hospital. He's like, La- oh, wait, shit, I just spoiled it. But the movie ending, I don't think, shows that. Okay, like, the the point of the book ending is that, like, after all that, how sad is it that he grew up to be like another normal person? He oh. grew up to be like the kind of person he despised. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I guess that's his idea of eternal punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I don't know if I can. But the movie is obviously a lot ending. more American, you know, in its ending. Because, yeah, mm. like, I, I know the ending. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because my thing about Clockwork Orange, this is a fun story. I, the day before... Sorry. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, The day before we started at Afters, I sat down and I watched Clockwork Orange because I said, I am not going to film school without watching it. And so in the night before I started at Afters, I watched Raising Arizona, the Coen Brothers film, which is Edgar Wright's favourite film. And it's amazing. High recommend. Look, I love it. I think it's one of Nicolas Cage's best roles. I, I like Nicholas. I fucking love Nicholas. He he gets too much hate, but I think our generation are bringing him back a bit. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think my parents. I say that, and my parents are like your generation thinks Nicholas Cage is cool, and I'm like, yeah, and they sort of have this different vision of him. Um, look, I think Nicholas is an alright actor, but uh, it. I watched Raising Arizona and I watched The Clockwork Orange because I was like, I'm just not going to film school without having watched these for some reason, even though I haven't seen Space Odyssey and I haven't seen Eight and a Half and I haven't seen Citizen Kane, you know? Okay, what a... I have a question for you. 
One of the films that always get put in the canon, like the classic straight white man canon, that you don't think should be there, that don't deserve that spot. Uh, like what? I don't even remember. <laughs> or what do you think does deserve to be there? That is still like, like straight, straight white, white man things. Yeah. Like, okay, Citizen Kane. Yeah. As, as if you're if you're someone who wants to make films. Mm. If you're someone who wants to like analyze a film. For how it tells a story. Yes. Citizen Kane, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, like, just to watch for entertainment, it's it's not all that. But, like... Um, Don't diss my bestie awesome right now. Like, yeah, it's, it's a good film, but, like... Don't you think about how funny random directors' names are without their last name? Like, Awesome, Stanley, Stephen. <laughs> like, like, they're just regular guys. David. <laughs> David. Like... And then you add the last Tom. name, John. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just, just they're yeah. just random guys. And then you add the last name, and suddenly, oh, it's, it's a it's a guy, Martin. Hey, Martin. Marty, like Quentin, just Quentin. Quentin is funny. Quinty. Quentin. Spike's Sorry. good though. Spike's pretty good. Spike is a great Spike's first name, yeah. but I can't. Genuinely, awesome is so random without the wells on the end. Yeah, just awesome. Um, taxi driver. Mm, so maybe on that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like the film. Mm-hmm. Like, but... This is another... This is, Flynn is throwing two bricks through your window now. Okay, there you go. Because of I, that. Yeah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> What else? Windows can be fixed, but broken hearts can't. I haven't seen... <laughs> Think about it. I haven't seen Eight and a Half, but just from what it like sounds like it's about, it sounds pretty fucking good. What else is there? What else is there? Uh, g- the game. Godfather deserves to be there. Uh huh. But game. then again, I'm a sucker for. Uh, uh, Rule of the Games? Rule of the Games? That's a French one. Um, I'm trying to think. Breathless? Ooh. Seven Samurai? That gets thrown in yeah. a lot. Yes. Yes, you'd be. Yeah, yeah. Seven okay. Samurai is pretty good. Cool. Breathless? Mm. Oh, look, if you like romance, hmm. if you like that. As a genre, but doesn't yeah. he like hate women? Yeah, but the, the like Breathless is isn't like a romance film, but it is a romance film. That's why I would tell people to like it to watch it because you know it, it'll fuck with your head. I might watch it tonight, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I'll keep you updated. Mm-hmm. I think I want to do a double feature of Eight and a Half and Vertigo. Oh, Vertigo is pretty good. Yeah. 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 I think my watch list that are like top priority right now is like Breathless, mm-hmm. Eight and a Half, Vertigo, and Synecdoche in New York. Oh, that's I want to watch that one. I, I don't yeah. know if it was. I want to screen it to be honest. I don't know. If, I don't know who it was. Was it the guy? Someone, someone like someone in a year said it was one of their favorite films. It's in my class. It was put in the canon. Who put it? Uh, I think Maddie. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Maddie. Maddie. Maddie and I had a lot of crossover in canon. Um, you know what I find very interesting is that Spirited Away has become a part of people's canon very quickly. How do you feel about that? Because I, I, I like feel, that. It, I feel good about yeah. it. Because, but I don't, I don't know. I think it definitely deserves to be there. Um, because the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, like that's a beautiful, lovely film from my childhood and like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I would say it deserves to be there. And I think it's fascinating that our generation is just really, we, that's, that's what we've picked as part of our canon instead of Citizen Kane. I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, one of my favorite things about Gen Z is that they value animation 
and like mm. international stuff way more than previous generations. Yeah, and like our class talked about like Perfect Blue and Satoshi Kon, and I love Satoshi Kon. God, good shit, man. Yeah, I'm just mm. looking at your canon. Oh, it's. I would actually films. change. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I would probably change some of that now, mm-hmm. because I actually haven't seen a lot of those on the list. It's because my tutor was like, "You can put ones in the." It, that's not my personal canon. Our tutor said you can't. Oh. Our tutor said you can't even put on, like films that you don't like remember that well. See, like that's not my personal canon, and that is not my. If the world was ending and I had to preserve cinema, that's not the canon I would pick. And my definitions of canon would all be, they would all be, like, really vastly different. Hmm. I think my personal canon would be, like, very camp, and it would be very... I just value campness a lot, like mm-hmm. John Waters. And hard, hard house stuff, and cult yeah. stuff, as Yeah, hmm. I really, I value it so much, and I almost value it more than, like, I value the classics. Oh. Um, and sometimes I think there is more merit to watching something that is really out there and really challenges you than watching Casablanca or Chinatown. I would put Erase Ahead. Yeah, I would put Erase Ahead. And I would put, like, Pink Flamingos. Because I think Pink Flamingos has a lot more value to a film student than Casablanca. Hashtag controversial. But, you know, that's that. That's what I'm saying. Mm. That's my statement. Quote me on it when I'm famous. Yep, thank you. Shout out to all the future film students that are going to be me one day. What? Yeah, you know? They're going to all mm. be children. Oh. I'd love to be like a Madonna and adopt a heap of film students. Oh, that'd be cute. Yeah, it's like a sweet note to end it on. Mm. Mm. So thank you, Top Gun Maverick, for sponsoring thank us. Thank you, um, Tommy Wiseau. And thank you, the U.S. government, for giving us heaps of money to make this film podcast. We love Marvel. Is this two hours? Yeah. Bye. I love you. Oh, bye. Good night. Good night, sweet dreams. Bye-bye.